0: It's a quarter past four I packed my bag with less things That we hold in
1: conversation If that's even possible Remember when your friends told you about Envy on the Coast? The fact
0: that I could this song
1: How about Never Shout Never? <laughs> check, check one two Alright, you goes nothing if timing's everything, stop telling me
0: you're taking your time I know you're anxious, you run in your mouth like you're five years old again
1: Or there for tomorrow
0: Your initial reply hit me under cover when I lost my head to it It was out of its time, it was undiscovered as I caught my breath
1: again You were running out these artists and more started off as unsigned bands, spotlighted in our monthly APNR section. Do you want to be the first to know about the newest, coolest bands before they're signed? Then check out the brand new APNR podcast. Hosted by web editor Tim Karen. the APNR podcast features over 45 minutes of music from unsigned bands all over the world, as well as plenty of insight as to what they're all about. Download an episode now at altpress.com podcast or subscribe through iTunes
2: so you can start telling your friends about the next big thing before they beat you to it
0: when times were better when times were better than
1: Well, you gotta start somewhere. And if you're gonna start a band, there's always a few bands from each decade that are essentials to analyze, memorize, and organize into your record collection. You gotta figure the 70s would have, what, Zeppelin, Queen, and Pink Floyd to start. The 80s would have U2, Motley Crue, and The Cure, at least. And for the 90s, well, for some of you, uh, you would start off at number one with the Kansas City band, The Get Up Kids. Formed in 1995 as the suburban Get Up Kids by bassist Rob Pope and guitarist Jim Subtick, the band grabbed guitarist and vocalist Matt Pryor out of the local band Secret Dakota Ring and then locked it all up with Rob's younger brother, drummer Ryan Pope, being added on the following year. After releasing the well-received Woodson EP in early 1997, the band was quickly offered a two-record deal with Doghouse Records, recording their first full-length with Schlack's Bob Weston in a single weekend due to the Still in Senior Classes issue of drummer Ryan Poe. After adding coalesced drummer James DeWeese on keyboards that summer, the band released the now-classic Four Minute Mile in September of 97 a record that would ultimately inspire bands such as Saves a Day, Early November, Midtown, and Fall Out Boy, among hundreds of others. Probably thousands by now. Falling into a major label bidding war, the band almost signed to the Universal Records-backed Mojo Records, but after discussions broke down over control issues and merchandising rights, the band rolled the dice and took a step down the ladder by joining with the then-baby startup Vagrant Records landing themselves a nice little label imprint as well called Heroes and Villains Records. Another EP the following year, entitled Red Letter Day, was pushed out to fulfill the doghouse contract, but it was their first release with Vagrant and the first to feature Dewey's 1999's Something to Write Home About that took the band and Vagrant up about 20 rungs on the ladder. The record was such an undertaking for the newish label at the time that its co-owner, John Cohen, had to borrow the production money from his parents forcing them to take out a new mortgage on their home. Thankfully for Cohen, and his parents, the record was such a financially successful genre statement that it officially and unintentionally become the cradle for the emo scene's baby, with the girls' jeans part being added by the first grandchildren five years later. Eudora, a compilation of rarities and b-sides, was released in 2001 at the tail end of a three-year touring trek for the band. And in 2002, the band released the often-argued-to-be-a-departure record for the Get Up Kids, the Scott Lit produced On A Wire. The band, already being cited by new emo artists as their Picasso to their Warhol, was getting fed up with being tagged as emo in the first place and began to push back despite other label mates such as Dashboard Confessional and Alkaline Trio beginning to overshadow and overtake them on all fronts. As the band entered the studio in 2003 to record their fourth studio record, 2004's Guilt Show, the group had begun to splinter from over touring and numerous personal issues, leaving the majority of the writing process to the Pope Brothers, while Deweese struggled with a nasty divorce and Subtick, on the other side of the coin, was off enjoying his honeymoon. Pryor's life was filling up with diversions as well, as his wife was now expecting her first child, and the road began to cause conflicts between his being a touring musician or a father that existed at all. After increasing arguments between members and repeated threats of quitting by SUPTIC, the band finally called it Hiatus after their 2004 World Tour, playing their final Fell War show on July 2nd, 2005 in Kansas City. For the next few years, each of the members kept themselves busy enough, prior with the New Amsterdam's, followed by a children's side project called The Terrible Twos, and a solo record in 2008 called Confidence Man. Dewey's was already off and running for a number of years with his musical mayhem called Reggie in the Full Effect, took on a couple of extra decent paying side gigs, filling in with New Glory and My Chemical Romance out on the road. The Pope Brothers took charge of that studio that was used for Guilt Show, transforming it into the Black Lodge Studios, Rob Pope eventually joining the group Spoon at one point. Jim Subdick formed Black Lights and toured the country with that for a while, also releasing records by the Smoking Popes and the New Amsterdams with his own label back home the now defunct Appeal Records. All the while, the band's legacy, audio catalog, and contributions to the music community as a whole became the stuff of legends, even if the band themselves wanted nothing to do with the term emo, at one point regretting having accidentally birthed the movement at all. Throughout the summer of 2008, though, rumors began of the band, reforming to coincide with the 10-year anniversary of Something to Write Home About. And on November 16th, 2008, the band unhiatused at the record bar in Kansas City. They also announced plans for this past year's nationwide tour and a new album to be released sometime in 2010. Now, though time is said to heal most wounds, and even the most stubborn of individuals can attest that, yeah, people do and can change, the new Get Up Kids is still a work in progress. They openly admit they argue and that not every day is a peaches things on this planet. But at this point, they enjoy playing on stage together more than the alternative. Like I said, you gotta start somewhere. This is my trip. So um, just to kind of start off, um, and and just on a totally unrelated note, uh, Kansas City, um Missouri— Matt, you still live there, or you live somewhere else now? Uh, we bo- James and I both live in uh, Lawrence, Kansas. So is... you guys are actually in Lawrence, yeah. Kansas now. Okay. So um, let's just talk about Kansas City just for a second. There's a lot of people that um, will never be at Kansas City. will never go there. Um, and They'll fly over it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Of course. Um, or have to land in an emergency landing in it. Right, right. Um, tornadoes and whatnot. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. You see it on uh, Storm Chasers. Um, so... But there is a difference. Like in Cleveland, we have a river, the Cuyahoga River, and it splits the city in two between the east side and west side. And there's a difference between the two sides of town. And mm. they hate each other, and you know, there's different personality types, and different kinds of people live on each side. So um, Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. <laughs> what is the difference between the two? Explain well, to the rest of the country. It's a little more complicated than that,
3: because there are the two sides of Kansas City, Kansas, there's the very... Let's see. Kansas City, Missouri is a little bit more working class, I would say. Do you think? I mean, if we're talking about just the city, not necessarily... Well, Kansas
2: City, Missouri is the city of Kansas City.
3: Yeah. It gets confusing because they count all the surrounding suburbs as part of Kansas City. The
2: greater metropolitan area. Yeah.
3: Okay.
2: Kansas City... K- Kansas City, Kansas is kind of a... Is this the stump question? It's, it's, yeah. Well, it's, it's really weird because since we, we were both kids, like... Kansas City, Kansas has this one place called Memorial Hall, which is where, like, you know, Helmet would play and uh, Nirvana played there and stuff. And that was where you'd go see, like, the bigger acts. It's like a 4,000 seat. But then growing
3: know. growing up in Missouri, it's like, ah, oh, gotta go. You have to go gotta, to the, Gotta go to Kansas. It was
2: like the ghetto to us, where yeah. we were like, oh, not there. But like, see,
3: then the other side of Kansas City, Kansas is, like, Johnson County, which is, like, one of the wealthiest yeah. counties in the Midwest. And so it's just like... Um, Freaking,
2: yeah, Overland Park, Yuppies and o, like Olathe you know, is all still, it's, it's still considered footballs. the greater. Can- yeah. yeah, well, that there's like that, that Showtime show, The United States of Terra, takes place in Overland Park, Kansas. Oh, it does, yeah, huh. but it's not filmed there because the, we were looking for the restaurant that's the in the bigger show, divide.
3: Sure. The <laughs> bigger divide really is between the two states, because yeah. the, there's that whole Civil War rivalry that goes. All the way back, and so now it's like KU versus MU, and like, it's very... Kansas was a
2: free state, Missouri was a slave state, so...
1: That's
3: right, that's right.
1: So. D- the get-up kids know their history,
3: so... Well, if you want me to tell you about Quantrill's Raid of Lawrence, Kansas, <laughs> I'll tell you that. Is <laughs> Why <one>. not? <laughs> was it worked into a lyric ever? No, no, wow. it was not. Okay.
2: Wow. Or the Jesse James first daylight bank robbery that took place in Liberty, Missouri.
3: Or then when, you know, John Dillinger got gunned down, and... In- was it Dillinger that got gunned down in front of Union Station?
2: I think so. I don't know. Yeah, Union Station is like, the, it's a train station that doesn't really have, it has some trains but <laughs> <laughs> every once in a while but basically now it's just like two restaurants and a wedding hall. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still a beautiful building. a historical <laughs>
1: marker. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah.
2: It's like the center of Kansas City, Missouri is is all based around the trains being that it was like a a big shipping city where like, you know, all the trains from like the East Coast to the West Coast would have to stop through Kansas City.
1: Mm-hmm. So, when you guys were growing up and you guys were in high school and before the band formed, w- was there a particular, uh, you know, I don't know, was there a particular sound or was there a particular identity or something for bands that kind of came out of particular regions of town? Well, there was,
3: there was the kind of noise thing, and then there was bands like uh, Molly Maguire and Season to Risk and Shiner, mm. mm-hmm. who kind of, I don't, know, I don't think I would be insulted to say they kind of emulated a lot of like what failure was doing. Yeah, well you know, then you like, could tell
2: what bands they liked a lot, like Jesus Lizard and yeah. Failure and It was really heavy, really,
3: really heavy stuff. And then there was some like poppier stuff coming out of Lawrence. It was like The consumer. college town yeah, right, bands. Right. Um but it was it was just it was weird. It was just kind of a bar scene, you know? It wasn't a it whole It still lot... is kind of a bar scene. But like then like the whole like kind of punk rock thing that came up when we were younger doing like VFW hall shows and like all ages. Sh- you know, there was one all ages club that actually lasted a whole year, and uh,
2: but those shows were always just a mix of whoever you could find. You know, yeah, like, I mean, a five dollars show is a five dollars show. So <laughs> it, on a Tuesday night when it's pouring rain outside and there's nothing to do, because no it,
3: man, it, it have to be like Friday or Saturday night, and then you drink in your car. Yeah, and then you go into the VFW hall, go <laughs> go see the breakups and nuclear
1: family and us. Yeah, <laughs> and, and
2: then go home or go to Chubby's. Mm-hmm. the one diner in yeah. town that stayed open late
1: so what what matt you were um if i remember correctly and we get this down right Your very was it your very first band that you were ever in was take a joke was that like yes kind of very brief kind uh, of
3: uh, technically the first band i was in was ne- never had a name but uh it, the first band that had a name and Played a show. It was called Take a Joke.
1: And you did like high school parties and things like that. And
3: yeah, I was like f- uh, fourteen, thirteen, or fourteen, and everybody else in the band was a lot old. They were in like eight, you know, sixteen to eighteen. So I was always like, you know, the little guy. But I had the practice space and the drum
1: kit. So did you guys go to the same high school together? No, no, it, no, no. no? Totally we didn't.
3: Nice. We didn't meet till we
1: were both out of high school. So the you-
3: rest of the band. All uh, Jim, Rob, and Ryan all went to high school together. Rob and Ryan okay. are brothers, and then they've known Jim since first grade.
1: So, what were you guys individually like in high school? Like at the time, what kind of table would you sit at? Student
2: council vice president, four years in a row. Really? National Honor Society. I was a complete. Uh, no, wait a minute. Pop. Really? Concert choir, all state band, all state choir. I was a do gooder, go getter, but then I also sold pot. So. <laughs> Well, that was the undercover bit. Nobody well, would believe you, right? That
1: was the it's thing. A serial it was a, call, it's a serial was, killer thing. Yeah, you, never, you never expect the one You that, keep your yeah. grades up, and uh,
2: right. you, know, you do good at school, and you got everybody... Like I don't want to say snowed, but <laughs> it'd be like I could come up with real good reasons to get out of school for like, something for student council. Like, oh, we have to do a party planning committee, <laughs> yeah. and it would just be an excuse to go to Perkins and smoke cigarettes for an hour and then come back to school. Did you have that party done? Like, oh, yeah, that thing's done. See, and I'm the
3: total opposite of that. I was like, I watched Reservoir Dogs a hundred times and wore a suit to school
2: and planned, planned to overthrow the government and didn't <laughs> didn't talk to anybody. He's a city kid, and I'm a suburb kid. Yeah, so That's the difference. Yeah. Right, he went right, to, right, right. Matt went to Catholic school, and I went to public school. Yeah.
3: Oh, wow. I wore a wallet chain and, and Doc Martens before they... they get, and then everybody made fun of me, and then Nirvana blew up, and all of a sudden everybody had on a wallet chain and Doc Martens, and like
1: <laughs> like... And they let you wear that in a Catholic school.
3: They let me do it, and then when everybody started to do it, and like people were f- like they were becoming an issue, then they, they stopped. They kind of let me be the weird guy, you know. <laughs> okay. It's like just
1: eh, just leave him alone, you know. Just leave him alone, but keep an eye on him. Yeah, right. What well, so? What kind of bands were you guys listening to um, when you first start picking up instruments, and, and like, who, did, who did you want to be when you grew up?
2: Bill Stevenson.
3: Initially, when I first started playing music, I it was cuz I got into like Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses and that kind of stuff. That's and I, right. I I learned how to uh twirl drumsticks before I learned how to actually play the drums. And uh that eventually led me to like punk rock and then I, you know, wanted to be Ian Mackay <laughs> at that point. I was just like I want to be like, you know, very DIY. I want to make this happen. So
1: did you guys ever besides being in a band, did you guys ever start throwing your own shows or doing mm-hmm. house shows and stuff yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, in Liberty, Missouri, like my parents' basement was there's that Christian organization for high school's called Young Life, yeah. and we would talk the the guy that ran young life into letting him have it at my parents' house so that my band could play. <laughs> And then, like, you know, the cops would show up and uh, the guy would be like, "This don't tell him this is Young Life. We can't have this Christian organization involved with, this, with the police. And we're like, it's Young Life. It's cool. It's for God. Like, you can't bust us. We're just having a show at 11 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. Come do you on. Curious, do,
1: do you still use that excuse today if something goes wrong, you know?
2: I have a minister card I can pull out of my pocket <laughs> so that I got I, online. Yeah, yeah, just be like, what are you talking about? Look. Well,
3: and your dad's a minister, so it's...
2: Yeah, well, right. I've used that. I've, I've, I've always told people that I have a get-out-of-hell-free card because my dad's a minister. <laughs> and uh, it only works on drunk people, but... Yeah. There was a club in Kansas City. We were just talking
3: about this. There was a club in Kansas City for, like, a whole year. that was called the Rumba Box, and that was when I was
4: 15. Yeah, I was, like, 16. You so. were 16,
3: and, like, I was there every damn day, and I learned... So much about running a show, and I mean, they didn't run it very well. But I learned about like, you know, stupid things like you know you can't let fourteen year olds get wasted in your club, kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> you got to deal with like the liquor board; they're trying to shut you down all
1: the time. And it was just uh, kind I of give you your street smarts that you could use, utilize it later on when you uh, very when you guys start be- the
3: very beginning of it. Yeah. yeah, and I met a lot of people that ultimately ended up. Uh, having a lot of contacts, I didn't know it at the time, but I was like I was networking, and I didn't. Know, I now that would be called networking, and I, before I was just like trying to
1: talk to people in bands. So uh, the the band names Secular Thing and Secret Dakota Ring. Secular theme, theme, theme. Sorry, which then in parentheses was
3: the outbreak of theory. I have no idea what I have still don't know what that band name means. <laughs> Secular, it's like a non-religious theme. Yeah, I guess so. Like what the hell what the hell does that make? I just, <laughs> it's like the unitarian. I didn't even Church. think I didn't even think about it at the time. I was just like it's like, yeah, whatever. Let's make noise. There's a total like noise. So which one
1: came first then?
3: Secular theme came first. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was the other way around. Okay. Secret Decodering was like a straight up like pop punk, like wannabe Lookout Records pop punk band. Mm-hmm. And our guitar player, I wanna start it with this guy, Mike Alexander, and then he left to go play with uh what was that band he played with for a little while? Damn it, I can't think of who they were. He left. He moved to San Francisco to play with some.
2: some oh, band. it was the Parasites. I thought it was like the Lookouts or something like. That. No, was, that they, was, were like, lookout, that, they were on Lookout. They were on Lookout. That's right. The Lookouts. Give me so a play. he got you
3: know he he attained the dream, and then uh, that's when uh, Jim from
1: Get Up Kids joined Secret Decoder Ring, and that's how we started playing together. So what what? How did you guys get your first gigs? I mean, was it who was, who was in the, amongst you were the ones that were the hustler? The one that went and got it, everything done. I did that for my stuff. I don't know about you.
3: Sean from Coalesce did everything. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> I, was the, I was always the, like, trying to get us gigs and, and stuff. I still don't know if we ever got paid for anything back then.
2: Yeah, when we were from the suburbs, my high school band, and like we tried, we came into the city, which was a big deal because it was like 30 minutes away, but we dropped off our demo tape and then never heard anything. And then we got to play some White Trash Club on like a open mic night where we had, you know, we were playing and everybody in the club was standing around a pool table yelling, play some Slayer, you know, play some Pantera. <laughs> is that Niners Independence, <laughs> on a, Nolan Road, Neeners. the Miracle Mile. Still but, there? I have no idea. It probably. Might, probably is. It's steady clientele. Yeah, you know? I mean, you know, it's like there's, I mean, it's kind of anywhere you go, like there's people that just stay in their neighborhood and never really venture off. Like, they're, like in – I was living in New York, and there's a lot of people in Long Island that still have never been to New Jersey or Connecticut. They right. have no desire to travel across those rivers. They're just like, I got everything That's I need funny. here. Right. And it's that way, like with independence and, you know, like some of the suburbs you're around Kansas off, city. You're
1: getting off topic here. Yeah, I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> well, it kind of relates
1: back to the Kansas City thing. But we so, like, you know, we dropped
2: off our demo tapes in the city, and like to us, like getting a show at like this bar called The Hurricane or anywhere downtown, like playing the, this. Um, music clothing store called the groove farm or across the street there was a place called spiny norman's that was like an indie record store and they would have in stores and to us it was like getting anything down there would be like you know one level up of like success and it just never happened see that's funny because like i you know coming up like we didn't want to play it
3: like the actual bars it was you know or the actual clubs it was like we're gonna put on a vfw hall show like I'll call the that old dude from the VFW hall. Go to his house with all of his like collectors, you know, Civil War plates, and like pay him the thirty dollar deposit. And then like, okay, we got to get a PA and like that whole thing. And God, I haven't thought about that in ages. That guy was such a creepy old dude. <laughs> and then it was like, you know, you got to make sure that there's not too many people there because then they they start getting weird. I guess it's. The VFW Hall in Kansas City, like Black Flag played there, Mm -hmm. Minor Threat played there, and it was just like, then they're like, we're not doing shows anymore. (laughs) These shows are crazy.
1: Where did, um, where did the, when was that, like that first show where you um, knew that this is what you wanted to do, both of you guys? I guess it
3: was one, a show I played. Like, you mean like a show I played or a show I saw?
1: No, uh, well, yeah, just maybe that moment. That's a good point, yeah. Whether it's a show that you saw or that you played.
3: I don't know. I never thought about this as being... I just, I never thought about it like that. I really? just It was kind of like, I. this is what I do, you know? It's mm-hmm. just like, I got to put, put on shows. I'm going to put on shows. We're going to go on tour. So I'm going to go on tour. And then I all... I didn't really think past that point ever. Right. And so it was just like, I think it... it, it I, I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like, it was never like... Like, oh, like the light bulb went off. It was just like that moment
2: where you're like air guitaring in your room to like scorpions. You're like, this is what I have to do. No, <laughs> like, no, <laughs> it was never like that. It was just, it was like,
3: like my first show, I was like totally nervous, but it was like, just, just, this is what I do. This is hmm. what I have to do,
2: I guess. It's weird. I remember going to see Coalesce before I was in the band at Spiny Normans. This is before Matt and I even knew each other. Oh, yeah, we were both at that show. We're standing right next to each other (laughs) at the show. Those
1: are the the funniest moments, right? right.
2: And uh, I'm wearing overalls in the photo. (laughs) I'm from north of the river. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had track to class, but... uh, like i remember watching that show and like i had met the the bass player for the band and he invited me down to watch them play and i had no idea what they sounded like or anything and i'd never heard any music like coalesce before and remember watching it being like this is amazing like you can't understand any of the words the guitar players jumping off stuff the lead singer punched a dude it's like, this is awesome. I remember,
3: like, Molly Maguire, the first incarnation
2: at Molly Maguire
3: at Groove Farm. That was a big... Or Germbox. Did you ever yeah, see Germbox them? Yeah, Germbox was awesome. They were crazy.
1: How did Got- you end up getting in the band?
2: What, in Coalesce or yeah. in GitHub Kids? Cole, Cole the
3: the <laughs> This is a funny story. Yeah. Well,
2: at first, <laughs> they, they kicked out Sean, the singer. So the bass player called me and invited me over to the drummer's house okay. to audition to be the singer. And so I drove to Olathe from Liberty, which is like 45 minutes away, and... uh Got out and went in and started screaming and like we did like one song and then all of a sudden Sean comes walking down the steps and he's like I saw all the cars outside we're having band practice and he's like what's this guy doing here what's he doing holding my mic and it was like oh crap and then the the drummer Jim got up and he's like you should probably go dude. (laughs) So I left and then didn't hear from him for like three months and then all of a sudden I get a phone call from Sean who's like hey Jim quit the band Do you want to come play drums now. So, and, that, and at that time, I was going to college in Columbia, Missouri, at the yeah. University of Missouri. And what were, you, uh,
1: what were you studying up there?
2: Music composition. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Keeping it in the family. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And so I drove back to Kansas City and auditioned to play drums. And then they're like, wow, this is working out real well. So I started driving back all the time. And then I ended up. Uh, getting kicked out of MU for going on tour with Coalesce playing drums. Really? Yeah. The, the head of the music department there did not appreciate the style of music I was playing and didn't <laughs> consider it a form of music. So I got forced to either withdraw and uh, pass if I withdrew myself, or he would withdraw me and I would fail and lose my GPA. And uh, so I withdrew myself and passed and then moved back to Kansas City and did that, played drums with Coalesce and worked <laughs> at Pizza Hut.
1: And worked at Pizza Hut
2: Oh I worked I worked at Pizza Hut Mr. Goodsense And this place called Winstead's And then uh, (laughs) The skateboard shop Called Let It Ride All at the same time Jeez I had my schedule worked out To where I was like 6am to 11 One thing 11.30 to 2 Was another 2 to 5 And then 5 to 11 or 12 And then I'd go down To Robin Ryan's From the get of kids apartment Because I was the only one That was 21 Mm. And I would buy beer and bring pizza and beer over to their apartment. I was going to say,
1: you probably got a lot of pizza for the rehearsals. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, any time because I could use by my tight, employee yeah. discount. Yeah.
2: <laughs> What'd you do at Pizza Hut, by the way? Delivery driver. Oh, you were delivery driver. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was dr- driver of the month <laughs> nine months in a row because I was the only one old enough to be there in the morning and at night because I was that loser. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I was there like I would open Pizza Hut and close it like five days a week. And so they didn't really have anybody else to give the award to. And uh, I still have my awards and my wife hides them from me because I like to hang them up in the bathroom. (laughs) And I really don't know where they are at this moment. I hung them up in Brooklyn. But when we moved back to Lawrence, they disappeared.
1: You know, uh, one of the guys in Hawthorne Heights was a pizza delivery driver, and 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 we were talking about the the, the weirdos that open up the door. Yeah.
2: Oh God, you don't even want to know. Come on. Give, me the, give me the give me the craziest person. <laughs> well, now you got to tell him about Kirk, though. Oh yeah, this is where like actually this okay. this uh, this hard to digress, but this no, is no, funny stuff. Nah, this right. has a, this has a lot <laughs> to do with Reggie and the full effect. All right, all because this was the first incarnation of Paco was Kirk oh, at Pizza kid. Hut. Really? Yeah, oh, guess, because the wig. Um, there was this woman that kept calling and this was the weird delivery where like she would come to the door in her lingerie and she would an- and she was huge and uh <laughs> she would answer the door in this like maroon nightie and like kind of pose against the door and be like how much is it and it was like you got the check written in your hand you always do <laughs> for the exact amount like the tip was this ugly woman in her lingerie that was like "Ooh, wow thanks for the tip lady <laughs> I'm what have, a treat i'm gonna close my eyes to this later but uh she would always give me the same amount of money and then she kept calling pizza hut asking for me because they make you wear a name tag that says you know james and she's like james there i want james to bring my pizza and she would call like eight to ten times a day and so finally they let me put on a disguise since i was still the only person there my name became kirk and uh i had to wear a wig and total, like, changed my outfit and stuff, and would go there, and, and this, this, it's like a long. It was like a metal hair, yeah, metal and wig. Like a, and and it like, was like a long curly, like you know, metal wig. With I'd wear like aviator glasses and listen to like Metallica, and I would wear Kirk all the time because it was hilarious.
3: Well, and didn't you say you get better tips? Yeah, if you... and, like
2: the trailer park. <laughs> yeah. um, this dude who never tipped, and this was like, like pizza drivers all have this at the store. Like we all know the addresses and who are good tippers, who aren't, who are assholes. Like you know, and so. On like this one where it's like I, it was totally like an experiment to see well, James can't get tipped at this dude's house, and this is a guy that had like a Trans Am on blocks in his uh, trailer park (laughs) driveway, for like the three three years. Like the car was still there, and he was always out there on the weekends working on it if the weather was nice, and just blaring like Metallica. And so the experiment was I'd put on Kirk, go there, and I'd be listening to Metallica really loud in my car, and then get out and be like yeah, bro, like, you know, walk up the driveway and the dude's like, hold on. And like, we both listened to this solo from, <laughs> and like, we're just talking about Kirk Hammett and stuff and then $3 tip. And it was like, like, this you know, bells and fireworks went off where it was like, I got this dude to tip. And then there's always, you know, you hear like the, the, the urban legends about the naked woman that answers the door. Yeah, yeah. it was funny because there was one in Liberty and she was a stripper. So it was like, duh. You, don't, I mean, deliver a pizza to the stripper, big whoop. Like you can go watch her naked any right. night of the week, basically. And we all went to high school with her, anyways. So, <laughs> but uh, I remember going to her house and it was like, oh, hey, Katie. Like, and she's naked. She's like, oh, crap. Like, like I thought it was going to be one of the little kids. I was like, no, sorry. And she's like, well, come on in. She's like Steve's got to write you a check, and like her husband's <laughs> standing behind the door, like giggling the whole time, like <laughs> look, at, oh, you know him? Damn it! <laughs> like dumb stuff.
1: Wow, well, uh, it seems like your experiences were crossed between South Park and Trailer Park Boys, or some of like that.
2: Yeah, well, it's, it's you know, truth is stranger than fiction. So we used to just make you get you drunk and
3: just make you talk.
2: Yeah, yeah. You'd just be like, tell us the stories. stories about all kinds. You know, like it was weird. Like I found from. Just being from a small town, you know, it, it's like you really get to know people super well. And everybody knows everything about everybody. And there's always like some well, then, like, dumb stuff going the, on. F- the first like, keyboard
3: that you had when we started playing oh, together the
2: Casio? was from this kid named Goblin, Goblin Boy. Boy. <laughs> yeah. Who we owed money to. And then Goblin Boy kept calling my parents' house, leaving these messages like, I just bought an AK-47 at the black market. <laughs> He's like, I need that $50. And he was taking photos of mutilated animals and hanging them up in his room. And we're like, that's got to be like a bad sign. <laughs> he was the child of two uh, psychologists. So do they're doing, they doing experiments. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. It's <laughs> like, he would be like, look, at they these. wrote a book. Yeah. It's like, yeah. look at these photos I took. And it'd be like a mutilated squirrel. And we're like, did you find it that way? Or did you do this? And he's like, oh, I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, goblin boy.
3: My still my favorites though are Like there was this whole series of stories that James would tell back in the day that the best ones always started off with this one time we were tripping
2: oh yeah, and, we, like, we you know, took would... a lot of acid in the suburbs <laughs> I, 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 you know what's funny is uh, we're on tour right now with a band called The Life and Times and the singer's name's Alan Epley and his dad was Fantastic one of my band. Yeah, amazing band Alan was also the singer for Shiner too and uh, has been like a Kansas City staple musician for you know, since I was like fifteen, mm-hmm. but his dad taught me music history at, at college, and I had to go take a final. And the thing was, in college, like I can't get arrested for saying I dealt acid because I already got I got kicked out of that college, anyways. But <laughs> um, which is still amazing. The reason why he kicked me yeah, out, yeah, I, yeah. Just, I was I, can't... I was selling acid to these frat kids, these five uh, Gamma Deltas and, um, <laughs> and uh, I accidentally touched it with my hands, and then I had to go take my music history <laughs> final. <laughs> And it was real funny because I, I, I remember go, sitting down in class and they give you like an hour and a half to take this final. And I was like, oh, man, I'm fucked up. <laughs> like, and I'm taking this final. And it was supposed to be a, a paper about the transition of Baroque to Renaissance music. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, I wrote a paper about the European economy falling <laughs> after Napoleon was captured. <laughs> and I got the paper back and he was like big X's through it and he was like, Great paper, wrong essay, <laughs> wrong topic. And it was Alan's dad. And he let, and he was like, What happened? And I was like, You wanna know? And he's like I was like, I was on acid. And he's like <laughs> 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 and He's like, We come back like come back in like a day and you can retake it. And it was like, Oh, you're the greatest teacher ever. <laughs> like finally someone understands when you show up in a final on drugs that you're not gonna do good.
3: I bet your paper
2: was pretty good. He, he said it was an awesome essay. He's like, it made a lot of sense. He's like, and I had no idea. I've never studied Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just using the drug to make like connections between, like, well, if this happened, then obviously people are going to get poor. <laughs> well, I want to get to the point where James joins the band. Okay. So let's just
1: quickly go. First of all, let's get, uh, uh um, a little piece of trivia, confirmed or not. I'm pretty okay. sure it's confirmed. Name of the band originally was Suburban Get Up Kids? For like a hot minute. Hot minute? Yeah. So it's not a big no. thing. As it's been splayed all over the place.
3: Well, I mean, it, it it it's true. It just didn't. It was like Suburban Get Up Kids. And I always had a problem with it because I wasn't from the suburbs. <laughs> and it's like, yeah,
1: that's not very accurate. So... So it sounds more like a, something before a car ad or something like mm-hmm. that, um, and or like a daycare center. You guys put out several. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, Super chunk daycare <laughs> in a strip mall. In a strip mall. Um, so you guys, you went through and you put out a, a, a couple of seven inches, um, uh-huh. and then an EP, and then Doghouse came into the picture. Well, we put out one seven inch ourselves, which.
3: Uh, I had a little bit of experience. I had done that once before with a an, with a secular theme band, mm. and so Robbie and I, the bass player and I, put that out with this other guy, who need not be named. who We didn't get along with very well after that. But then uh, we just sent that to to everybody. We sent it to like anybody that would hear it, and then Doghouse was interested, and so we said we'd do a seven inch with Doghouse. And then there was this other label called uh, Contrast. Contrast that yeah. put out. So we recorded four songs. Split it, and then Doghouse one. Contrast just did seven inches at the time, and Doghouse did CDs too. And he wanted to do the CD with both the seven
1: inches on it. And I don't think uh, the guy from Contrast was really stoked on that. But. <laughs> okay, so you got, and I think like the deal was like about four grand or so or something like that for the Doghouse deal.
3: No, it was a uh, it was that one we paid for out of pocket. And then, mm. if I remember right, uh, our first album, Four Minute Mile, we w- was right. a four thousand dollar budget. So we. We decided to go with the, instead of just recording it at Red House with Ed, like we had done with the EP, we decided to, like, blow it all by going to the Chicago Recording Company and doing it in a marathon session with Bob Weston.
1: Right, for two and a half days or so, uh-huh. right? Like, you guys The only thing... We, we right after
3: Ryan got out of high school and you guys ran out for that weekend night? We picked, we waited in the parking lot of Olathe, what they go to? Olathe South. South. And uh, high school, Ryan ran out, jumped in the van, we drove to Chicago no. Yes, earlier that day we had, we went to Big Dude's Music City to pick up some strings and picks and stuff and we ran over a rock and we yeah, didn't know right. it at the time it, but it punctured the manifold. So we drove all the way to Chicago like with you know carbon monoxide like going in so we like had the windows down and we drove all the way there with the windows down and uh recorded started Friday night ended at like 3 a.m. Sunday night or something like that, mm-hmm. and drove home, and he went to school on Monday. If I remember right,
1: I've read a, a bunch of stories about um, uh, you work with the with producers after that record. But what mm-hmm. was it like working on with Weston one that one? Bob
3: Weston's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's he, he, how did he treat
1: you as high school kids though? You know, it's he like you were so young. He didn't care. He didn't care. Mm-mm.
3: He was just like I mean, we had a lot of uh we talked about slint a lot. And we talked about, he had just done uh, this record for this band, The Regrets, hmm. and he had worked with Vicious Humor and Boy's Life, who were friends of right. ours. <clears throat> and um, so we had a lot to talk about. But then uh, he was just, he liked the stuff, and he was just, he really kind of acted more of a, just an engineer than a producer. Hmm. Cause he was kind of like, you know, you like, do you like how it sounds? I like, okay, yeah, it's cool. Maybe, you know. The the raw tracks sound really good. My vocal performance is atrocious, but I was learning how to sing. What do you guys
2: call that? Uh, Emo flat? That's what
3: Anthony (laughs) Anthony from Bayside said it was called. Cool emo flat. Cool emo flat. No, it's everybody. (laughs) Which I thought is the stupidest thing in the world because like, wouldn't every singer, everything benefit from being
2: in key? Yeah, you know, like. But that's weird, because I know lots of people that think that 4-Minute Mile is the best recording Gitter Kids ever did because of it being horrible. Right. <laughs>
4: well, that's like, usually That how makes it, makes it yeah, unique. Yeah, it's always like, the like, crappy one. That, yeah, like,
2: it's like... To, and well, I understand it. And the thing
3: about it is, like, uh, we just got the... We dumped all the tapes into Pro Tools recently, and Rob and Ryan were like, this record sounds fucking awesome. It just like it was mixed in, like, four hours. You know, it was just... Like, blow through it. and But, you know, I mean, that's just... Part of its charm, I guess. It's always like maybe she like put it out and like remix it, like to have, so yeah. that we like yeah. it. And it's like yeah, you no, know, that would just piss everybody that's always off. The wor-
2: yeah, that's always the worst idea any band ever has, is to go back in and re-record something.
3: Just it, it's like a tattoo, you know. It just it's there. It represents that point in time. You know, you live with it yeah. <laughs> for the rest of your life.
1: It is, and you're right. I mean, it is interesting how the it, it's kind of like uh, you, you know you tend to kind of meet the person you're gonna end up with when you look your worst. Yeah. and it's you know it's like so it's like here's the record that is like so um you know simple and so raw and so mm-hmm. uh, I think somebody wrote one time it sounded like you guys didn't even know when you were supposed to be playing the guitar uh-huh. and um and so sort of, that ends
2: up being the one that everybody holds up to the gods
1: it's got a, i mean it's
3: got a lot of well, energy it, to it, it and you it's know? like
2: the charm of like this is four kids not knowing what they're doing that produce something awesome the you know that's that's the yeah. way people you know that's the way i always get it described to me it's and innocent Aw. <laughs> little did anybody know what's really going on <laughs> um
1: and it, you from what i understand it, it was some of the guys in, in, in boys life um uh, back home that actually were able to get you some contacts and stuff so you guys could piece together your first tour
3: right yeah um yeah uh, joe winkle from boys life i worked with it uh jim and i worked with it Lim- linda hall library and um they were touring and it was like you know i got the maximum rock and roll book your own fucking life oh, yeah. and then the musician's guide to touring and promotion magazine that came out every year which was really kind of useless cuz it was all like court <laughs> corporate like clubs that right but the so between the book your own fucking life and then joe's contacts and then that actually led us to uh bob from braid and they were booking a tour at the same time basically going the same direction that we were and so we're like let's just partner up and so they had more contacts because they had toured for like a year or two before we started touring with them so it was between bob and i the, the first tour got locked down
1: was that the was that the tour i'm just trying to figure out where it was but you know there were those gigs that later generations music fans go i would die i would sell everything i have to have been at that gig and there was a gig that I heard about. Um, it was in Madison, Wisconsin, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it was you guys, um, Promise Ring, and, and Mineral. And, oh, it's, Mineral. I thought it was Braid. Oh, was Braid on? No, but it was just us
3: at Promise Ring and Mineral. We went, we went up to uh, basically, we got that gig. And so we drove and we played in uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa, which is a whole other funny story. And then we played <laughs> in an in store in Chicago. And then played at this house party at the Slant House, I think is what they called it, in Madison, Wisconsin, with Promise Ring and Mineral. And we were trying to get a tour with Mineral, but
1: and which we ended up doing, but it was it was just it was fun. So what's the Cedar Falls story? Now you got me curious. There's another one of those places that most people never, ever go. Right. They don't hear
2: about it. I'll never go there.
1: Usually you hear about, like, what's middle America think about the presidential candidate? And, you know, they send a reporter
3: out. Well, this was, you know, I mean, this is, like, the middle of nowhere. And, like, everybody, you know, if there's something to do, people go do it. The kids will go do it. So this kid had a party, and he was in a band. And we had this Madison show booked, and we're, like, trying to find something on the way. So I'm, like, Mm -hmm. looking in Book Your Fucking Life and find a dude on the way. And he's, like, yeah, we'll do, like, a house show. I'm, like, okay. So it's, like, we get there. It's Friday... Friday the 13th, I believe, and it's just in the middle of nowhere, and then there's all these kids there, and they're all drinking, and, you know, all underage, and, like, the whole thing, and we go inside, and I'm like, okay, so set up in the basement, and cool, and, like, everybody's having a good time, and then, so I'm making, it's in, you know, his parents' house, and so I'm making some, like, ramen in the microwave, like, those cup, cup of soups, and this woman comes up to me, and she goes, oh, that smells good, I wish I could have some of that, and I'm like well, you can have some if you want. And she's like, no, I can't. And so she had a a tube going directly into her stomach because her her throat was paralyzed or something (coughs) like that. And so she's like, no, I'm good. And she goes over and she takes a hypodermic syringe and fills it with peppermint schnapps and then (laughs) shoots it right into her stomach thing.
4: I'm sorry, I'm laughing. (laughs) (laughs)
3: And so I was like, what the fuck just happened? And uh, so then she goes, all right. And then she walked back into the living room, and uh, I go to the fridge to, like, look for s- something. And I open the fridge, and it's just, like, beer, 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 condiments. And then <laughs> she had...
4: <laughs>
3: in the living room, they were watching Empire Strikes Back, her and her husband. And he was drinking beer, <clears throat> but then she had a drip, like an IV drip with beer in it. See, now, this this part of the story sounds so fantastic. I can't even... I've told this story so many times. I'm like, I swear to God, she had a drip the Coen full brothers of brothers
1: are gonna steal characters. Out I of this.
3: know, like they, she had a drip of full of beer and just putting it right in her stomach and just kinda mainlining Budweiser <laughs> watching Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, Man, that your mom? And he's like, Yeah, she's my mom. I don't I don't actually live here anymore. We're just using her house for the for the show. <laughs> and then like some of the characters of that one, were like, man, you dudes sound just like the Jesus lizard. I'm
2: like, really. All right. There's why, like, four <laughs> Jesus Lizard fans in that town that are all at that show. They're yeah. like, all right, here we go. And then uh, this other girl is like, I can
3: see your aura, you know, and that kind of – Oh, and then we all we had was a 7-inch. All we had was that first 7-inch, and we're going around and saying, like, no, it's just – because everybody was hammered. The, the, the shorty one? And yeah, it, yeah, and it was like, no, it's, it's a really big CD. It's just, like, it fits like a normal CD player, but just you got to, like, you know, put it – and we sold some because of that, but –
2: Gas yes, money.
3: <laughs> and now those, are, now those are worth money.
1: <laughs> yeah, Do you have your own copies? Yeah. A lot of musicians don't even have copies of their early, early stuff. I've
3: lost a lot of the vinyl from Doghouse, and I really can't get them to send us anything anyway, so we have some for tour. Is there
1: something out there from the early days that you would, you, if somebody has us listening to this, they should get a hold of you via MySpace or someplace, Facebook or something, no, because that I... you really, really, really want from the early days, like a shirt or a, there was a first draft or nah.
3: something? or I just, I kind of let it go, like, kind of in a, like, I don't really, I mean, you know, these things exist. I know, I can hear the songs if I want to. yeah you My know? dad
2: has the uh, old, ugly, bright red Doghouse Windbreaker still. Oh, God, those are hideous. He still has that. Uh, it's like, I just kind of, you know, I lost those
3: LPs and that kind of sucks, but it's just like, eh, it's just, they're just things. You know, not to get all zen about it, but they just don't really matter. We have all these really nice, like old uh, Shepherd Fairy posters for both Get Up Kids and for Reggie, Mm -hmm. from like '99 through 2005. And uh, my other band, uh, the pedal steel player, is like a huge, like graphic design geek. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: And he came in and like into my practice space. I just have him like thumbtacked to the wall, and he's like, "Ha ha ha! Those are (laughs) you put holes in them Shepherd fairy posters." (laughs) They're autographed. They're signed by him and
2: numbered. uh. Ryan's been storing all of his junk in my garage. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, in his boxes, he has... That uh, you went through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because he said he had GitHub Kid stuff in there. So I was going through it. And he has, like, photos from like 97 on Like of of all old Get Up Kid stuff Of like us on tour well, He's got like He's got every poster Every 7 inch Every test press He's like, got
3: like
4: 40 Our hours. Clammies
2: Our K- Kansas I City I have Pitchers. one of my Clammies I have one of your Clammies And one of my Clammies And then one for it's the, the Kansas whole Kansas City Kansas City local, Music Awards yeah. I kind of caught you yeah, we yeah. going that way Yeah Matt, uh, Matt didn't go. I've never. When been, did you get it? When did you get it? A couple like, years ago. Like, I've, gotten, right, I've like, gotten
3: like best singer yeah, twice. Best rocks. Pop,
2: Best pop vocalist over
3: here. There we go.
1: Yeah. Uh. No, what the, what the good story. The
3: great one for that was like,
1: they. Uh, is it the big fish small pond kind of thing? Is how you. you I just you, you, don't. I just don't like the idea of competing for. I think it's a like, like no big
2: fish with no pond. <laughs> like who cares? Everybody was friends. Like the only thing that it did was turn like make bitter Kansas City musicians more bitter, because. <laughs> There's like I know. didn't
3: well, I didn't go the one year yeah, that they, like, they, they all took the limo well, from Jim
2: Robin Ryan took a limo from Lawrence <laughs> to Kansas <laughs> City <laughs> to go. Oh, and they rub, like,
3: in, rub
1: it in. It's I like see, open
3: well, it was like open bar, you know? <laughs> and they're like so they go there and like Jim gets hammered and like I win and so I wasn't there, so Jim accepted on my behalf and he just gets up on stage and goes, Briar can suck it. And then left took the Well me and Litton. you were out
2: on tour. We were out on tour with Reggie at the was time. Was that what it was? Yeah, we oh, were gone. And that was the other thing. It was like Matt and I stayed busy, and uh, everybody else was at home living up the the you know living woo. the dream. I'm gonna
3: go to the Clammies. Yeah, we got CDs. Yeah, but whatever. Yeah, they're, no, they're, it's
2: they're, all in fun, yeah. and you know, and and yeah, you know what? Be excited because what were we you've... talking about originally.
1: How did we get here? Well, no, we we were going in the right direction. Oh, okay. We were just we oh. were, we were kind of we were we were talking about four minute mile. We were talking mm. about uh, you know the 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 innocence of it and the the rawness of the sound. And ah. so so w- when. I've heard a couple different versions trying to piece together how you, where that beginning conversation came into play. Because I've heard that, like, one interview from years ago where you said, well, you know, Ryan and them just kind of invited me out. And then another one I heard that you it was actually at a... Um, at a festival
3: Well, that's where we met <laughs> That's where it was we met, met. It was, yeah. that, was,
1: was that the Wilkes Bar yeah, was, gig? Yeah, yeah right, The one where you, th- were you Threw through the floor th- the, time right, right, so I so k- so killed 90 people <laughs> So this is gonna be Kind of like a, This is gonna be Kind of like where, we, where we're going To commercial break On the suspense line <laughs> So um, uh, so, But but What I actually do Is we do two music breaks During okay. the show And so Why don't you guys Give me one band uh, One song Actually No, let's do, let's do Two bands Two different songs From each of you guys Of um, I guess what would have been your theme songs around that time period? So we're talking what? Well, nineteen ninety. 1990- I could say we
3: could probably just sum. It. We used to listen. He and I used to drive around in his pink, hot pink Geo Tracker.
2: That was Kirk's mobile and uh, Pizza Hut delivery.
1: <laughs> that was the one that you <laughs> listen okay.
3: listen to Jimmy World's clarity. Yep, and marvel at it, and then we would listen to. What Promise Ring record? We kept writing harmonies to Give Promise songs. Ring songs. Give
1: me songs here, like
3: the ones that are like... I don't uh, know the names of
1: any of those songs. <laughs> <neither>. <laughs> I never actually we looked can at the We do an this... old school, like third song for a side. That's,
2: that's probably the easiest way yeah, to yeah. do it. All right,
1: okay. Um, What's the, the
3: last song on Jimmy World's Clarity that has the long that's outro? That's good by Sky Harbor. Okay. That's the
2: name of that song. That song's amazing. Still is. Um, All right, there's one.
1: Fuck. Uh, what else were we listening to at the time? Like what was it? What was on in the van every time you guys went on the road, or you guys either one of you? We like always when,
2: like you know what we were really into in the van for a long time was Refused, Shape of Punk to Come. Oh okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that 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 new like, Noise yeah, was that one of the songs. That that, that was the one they made the video for that, just blew everybody's mind. I'm like, wow, these kids, man. Like, dude, like who would have thought after like Refused when they were on Victory and they had the, you know, the big straight edge thing, and it was like they were horrible, and then I, took two years off and went and recorded this groundbreaking record. Um, what and just got the, the was, what's part? the first song on that? The first song on that no, record is amazing. No,
3: sing, do the single's good. The,
2: no, do the one that goes, woo! Oh, that is the single. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The new. That's the new noise. Yeah, that's the new noise. Okay. They're doing a reunion, by the way, I've heard. The rumors. That'd be cool. I never got to see them play that record, so I'd be real excited for that. What else were we listening to? Damn. I've always been listening to a lot. Like I've delivered pizzas and listened to hardcore. All the time. Like, I would listen to Disembodied and uh, Botch, oh, and like, yeah. you know, and these are like bands that Cole S would always play with and stuff. So I'd always get that records. I never records really
3: and, I think of, What was that one botch song where he like detunes in the middle? That of the was song? the first
2: song on uh, American Nervosa, uh, the very first song where the guitar player while playing, starts detuning his thing. His thing, sorry, his guitar. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a keyboard player. Right? Like, he's detuning his guitar, and, Like they do a whole part of the song, and then he starts tuning it back up while they're playing the song still, and I was like, wow, that's really, really creative. So we could do that one. That was, that's right, one that's three. That's the first yeah. track on American Nervoso.
3: Okay. Uh, what's that Promise Ring song that we used to always write harmonies to? It was on that EP or something, wasn't it? We, like, oh, was it like American Girl? or? No, what was it called? I
2: don't remember. Oh, damn it! I, I just I, I bought Thirty Degrees Everywhere on iTunes for uh you know just for some recently like, nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. I've been mean, and I've been buying everything on iTunes like all the old stuff. We bought the <laughs> old Pike Chamberlain split.
3: Ah, that's the one.
2: Uh, oh yeah, that old Pike song. The uh, this is the, about goodbye. This is goodbye. I think it's
3: called like Blue
2: Bus. Day. It's the
4: blue.
3: Yeah, but well, okay. it's from the
2: old, old Pike Chamberlain seven inch. And uh, I just ran into one of the guys from Chamberlain in LA. What's the name of that song, though? I don't know. It's side the, B. It's side <laughs> B. The second song. It's, it's the old Pikes part of the seven inch. Okay. It's the it's second song.
0: The station, it's the three four ballad. Well, he's you. giving me the cue, so that yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I know what I gotta get. <laughs> the last time I don't
3: remember the words, but it's an awesome song. It's though. a good song.
1: A couple of things before we get to Wilkes Bar. Um, one is, uh, how did you go? F- I haven't read this anywhere either. How did you go from
2: drums to keyboard? I've been playing uh, piano since I was a little kid. All like right, so that seven. was actually first. Yeah, and then drums since I was 10. So, and, uh, you know, just kind of picked up other instruments and stuff too. Like, it's always been something I like to do is play music. I played guitar in a band in high school, not very well, but, mm. you know, but it was like playing drums in talent shows when I was like 13. And, then played Susie and the Banshee songs on piano and let this dude <laughs> sing them, which is just a bad idea. This, that's it's a little off. <laughs> that sounds atrocious. Just seen the outfit he was wearing. <laughs> that's where the atrocity came. <laughs> nice.
1: Was there one of them that you felt ultimately more comfortable with? Or you, you, you still kind
2: of. No, because like, eh. there's such a connection between the two, you know, okay. because there's such a percussive element of of piano. And really, like, you know, I've been talking to. I have a cousin in California who's a piano player, too, and then my nephew is starting piano right now, and it's like it really is a good gateway towards all the other instruments because even in, like, music school, it helped me out so much knowing how to play piano that I actually could figure well, out... I, just what I learned from you on piano. It really and the, shows you how the mathematics of music works. and, like, well, and like mm-hmm. harmonies. Yeah, and, and, where harmonies are, and, like, you know, like knowing what one, three, like, your thirds and your fifths, mm-hmm. and when you can actually see it, in front of you, like it's presented on a piano, then like you know, it helps you envision how it's going to work on a guitar, how it's going to work on a cello or a violin, mm-hmm. or even a clarinet or a trumpet or something.
1: You know, because you you did you were going to school for music theory and, and everything else. Like that I'm just kind of curious, um, and I know like Jason holds you, my editor in chief, holds yeah, you yeah, I love Jason. He holds you in high, high regard. Um, but from the two, from the two, especially you know, you're being a father, we mm-hmm. um, garage band. And and uh, and you've got Rock Band and you've got Guitar Hero and you've got you know software applications to video games now. Mm-hmm. Do you think that those actually teach the right things to people that not want to get into music? R- not not rock, guitar Not Guitar Garage Hero. Not Guitar Band. And rock Band. It, you can
2: you can actually learn because even now they offer the tutorials where people are showing you. Right. Yeah. Like, you can simple do a lot of really structure. cool stuff with Garage Band. Yeah, GarageBand you- is is basically opened a door for home recording. And mm-hmm. you know, with Apple but Loops, I mean, giving you the option of using all their Loops, and you can actually produce with them. All the and, other things, though, are are, are video games.
3: That right, should be treated yeah. as
2: such. It's not little an kids actual, learn the hard way that I mean, guitar hero isn't really how you play guitar. Well, I mean, it's <laughs>
3: like just because you're really good at King Kong doesn't mean that you're really good at actually like climbing ladders and jumping over barrels. Yeah, fighting gorillas, catching white women. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh,
3: the uh, it's, it's just like they're video games. If you this know? gets
2: picked up by Fox News and stuff, we I'm going to blame you, all right? Catching white you know, women. I remember you <laughs> knocking at my door like, you took acid in Music Theory Final? <laughs> You're going to jail, buddy. I'm like, oh, come on! I'm going to take some more for but I go you know, with the with
1: the with the decimation of high school and middle school music programs, <laughs> that
2: sucks. Well, that's what sucks. You know? Yeah, that that's the worst. Is like you know, I learned most of my stuff from like sixth grade band. Where this my teacher's name was Carl Prather, taught me how to tap my foot in rhythm and how to count using your foot. And like you know, I remember like going watching my older brother when he was in sixth grade band, when I was in fourth grade and watching everybody sway forward with their feet tapping, playing like Farah you know, and it sounds completely horrible, but that's the foundation of everybody just yeah. kind of, you know, tapping and nodding and learning how to count and watching like, you know, simple notes where they teach you like, well, here's, like when you learn on a guitar, that, like, you know, your low string is tuned to an E. And then you start from there, where it's like, you know, you move up your scale, and here's the notes of your scale. And then once you go from E, you get up to the A string. And, like, here's where the A string, well, yeah, the it's notes all the, coincide the, on your E string. The yeah. rudiments of the whole thing. And then it's right. like,
3: they're not, I mean, it's just like anything as far as like being a parent, talking about like kids now, right. like, you, you just, you have to find those things and, and have them taught to you. If they're not going to be, if they're gonna be not gonna have them in just school, you know, I mean, it's it's our responsibility as parents to make sure that our kids get that stuff, whether they
2: get it at school or. I think or it's not. horrible. They're not gonna get it at school anymore. It's, though, it but sucks, that. but it's
3: like, you know. I, it's the world we live in, unfortunately. So we have to like take the reins and take yeah, responsibility. High school for it.
2: football can get new uniforms every single year. That's but always been you the case. I know, though. I know. Cause even when there was funding for band, the. the but no, high it's school not even music, team. though. They've taken away art programs, all right. that. Like It's yeah, all gone. My
3: daughter's uh, elementary school, they have a, a rotating. It's, uh, yeah, music. Where it's no music, art, and gym. Every other day, they have one of those things. That's crazy. So they don't have them, any of them every day.
2: Yeah, I remember going to it every day of the week. Like, Art was always like twice a week, and but music was like every day, and PE was every other day. See, now this is making me feel like a shitty father.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so let's just kind of side noted on this. You know, uh, one of my um, teachers for drumming said, uh, "I was like, I was, I went out and immediately start buying all the books and start practicing and, and he was one that was like, "Forget the books." You gotta feel it first. Yeah. If you don't feel it, you don't get the rhythm of it. You don't. You don't let it come out of you. And uh, just I never it never naturally happened. Never had a teacher so, like that.
2: So is talent something that you can learn? It really depends because, like, I think with I think like percussion, de- you really need on what a feeling. You,
1: what you mean by and, talent? Because I mean, yeah. you're talking about talent, well, like being you can- good at at something i mean you can let's open it up to
3: anything you can be technically good at something if you do it enough yeah it's like
2: book smart but you're not street smart you know like you you can walk like you keep walking into the wrong neighborhoods but yet you can solve all kinds of great math problems but yet you can't find your way home at night (laughs) or (laughs) or you're like the genius engineer but you can't figure out how to drive a
3: truck under an awning without ripping the roof (laughs) off of it yeah. That happened, that happened to us. That happened to us.
2: We had the really? second smartest person in Kansas <laughs> driving our, our gear truck, and he was trying to mathematically figure out how to get this truck underneath and awning it like a holiday Inn and he ends up ripping the top off the truck. He was off by like three inches. <laughs> it was like three inches, four thousand dollars later. I think like we still owe When was this? Yeah. This was in uh, two thousand and two. Yeah, this was like on a wire tour. Yeah, like second day of the tour. Yeah, yeah. So uh let's go
1: back to uh Wait, when James was going to come into the band. Okay. Um, but uh, let's talk about, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of bands from that are 10, 15 years old right now kind of look back and they go, um, you know, we have all these kids come up and say, you, you know, we're inspired by you and we kind of sound like you and we do a cover of one of your songs and so forth. And, you know, the band's like flattered and things like that. But when those bands were their age, they were doing the same thing. They mm. were emulating somebody else. They were... Wanting to be, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, all these bands were coming into the AP offices saying, "Oh yeah, we're really inspired by Thursday, and we want to be a sound like Thursday, and their music would sound like Thursday." Mm-hmm. So, what were you guys? Were you guys? Do you think, kind of looking back, where you can kind of sit there and go, "Huh, yeah, maybe we were, we were a little bit of this and a little bit of that." And
3: I think we ripped off Jimmy World quite a bit. Oh, uh,
2: Static Prevails. Yeah, that I, met Jim, I heard a lot of Static Prevails. Jimmy saw four minute mile.
3: Jimmy World toured with uh, Boys Life, and Jim. We, he went to go see Boy's Life at this coffee shop in Kansas City, and he's like, that band that played with Boy's Life, that's thats what we need to do. That's what, you know. So it was very, that was deliberate. I think we kind of, I don't think we always
2: did that, but that was... That's a good step, it was a good building block. Yeah. For what where you wanted to go musically and what you wanted to sound like. Our first drummer was the one who uh, was into hardcore
3: stuff. and Was uh, this the one that left for California? That one? Uh, he, he left for St. Louis. St. Louis, all right. Uh, but he... Uh, he was like, you know, bands gotta move. You know, you can't just stand there and play your guitar. Because he's like coming from hardcore, you know, it's like, fuck, you know,
2: <laughs> move, jump, you know, like, jump, finger point, punch. <laughs>
3: and so we're like, pick up change. So we're like, <laughs> okay, you know, and then it got into this thing. It's was like, this is fun, you know, like, wow. You rocking- gotta snap
2: case that stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, but I don't think we would have had that sort of like level of energy if it hadn't been for him cuz he kind of like brought the idea to the table a little bit but um other bands we were trying to rip off i don't know if you're we trying to Well rip I wasn't any- saying rip off i mean well, you know I, inspired by why not okay. say it the better way it's, you say tomato <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you know who i got really like i was really into the bands i was friends with like boys life it was a ba- really big influence on me and then when mm. we started touring <laughs> like the Braid guys were huge influences on mm-hmm. us, both, like, m- I'd say musically and professionally, just because, mm-hmm. like, they kind of taught us how to live in a van, sort of, and how to, like, not take shit seriously and, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy where you're at and do things. We just, we were just hanging out with them
2: last night well, and the night night before
3: before. and they're like you remember that house show in Rhode Island and I was like yeah the one where we both set up and then we traded songs because like they would play a song and then we would play a song and then they would play a song and they're like yeah but then there was another one where we made new bands and I had forgotten all about this but it was like Rob and Jim and then Damon and uh, Chris from Braid and they went off and wrote a song and then me and the rest of the guys went off and wrote a song and then we Play them. You guys no. are so boring
2: <laughs> That's really creative. That's cool. I think
3: we played our song and then, because Bob was in the other band and he he was saying he wasn't satisfied with where their song ended up, so they <laughs> didn't. They are you didn't still play thinking
2: it. about it today. He, like... he, he was. He was still. <laughs> it's been twelve years, and I still really think if I had five more minutes with that song, <laughs> I almost had the chorus hook. So they, was, but um,
3: yeah, like, and then it would be like you know, big influence.
1: You know, I don't know. So let's so so James very quickly let's get you let's bring us up to speed to that show at Wilkesburg like how what like how things were going for you. Um, You're just rocking Coalesce. Were you happy? Yeah.
2: Oh you yeah, know, no, it was. Were, I was everything. You know, I love playing drums and Coalesce. Like it, Coalesce has always been like a really really odd band of people. And everybody's kind of extreme on their own ends. Like so, it's there. It's not everybody pointing in the same direction. Everybody's pointing in completely opposites. But yet, that comes out, and it always came across in the music. Mm. That's why, like, the drums don't match the guitars, which don't match the bass, which don't (laughs) match the vocals. But uh, it was great live. Like you know, it was a lot of fun to do. And uh, for the most part, we always everybody got along i just really liked picking up my drums and throwing them at people <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mean to hit that girl i just uh, so that
1: so that is officially the story you you picked up your tom
2: oh yeah I, well everybody picked up my drum kit there, right. a, a kid ran off of my snare drum that's how i met jim Suptic, was because jim tracked the kid down in the parking lot <laughs> and got my snare drum back for me and uh and then we all became friends and i moved in with rob and ryan there and okay, uh okay Matt oh, and then it was
3: like, we'd go on tour, and then all of a sudden, you had like, today is the day, stay at their house.
2: Oh, and, yeah, they like, stunk like, up the apartment so bad. <laughs> Steve Austin, he's a sweet guy, great producer, great musician, he smells. He's so, like, like we, him and his Wiccan wife, man, they were so stinky. Oh, that's going to end up on Gawker. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were amazing, like, I loved all right, them to that's, death.
3: that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, Matt, here. no, we'd go, at, we'd go on tour, and then James would stay... I house. would watch the
1: house, and then when something I something about like you guys hung out and like drank a lot of Rolling Rock.
3: We drank and, Rolling like, Rock, uh, uh. and then Ryan had a piano, and James would come. Well,
2: yeah, we would sit, just around, sit and around and play the piano, play cover this, songs. This
3: guy, you can go like, all right, play Eternal Flame by the Bangles, and he'll go.
2: I'll figure so, it out, and then, and then, play then he'll play, play for the for whole, you.
3: and then he'll play like the whole thing, and so we would just sit around drinking beer, watching Twin Peaks, and singing songs, singing the songs. Piano. And then he was doing; he had made this little cassette of like four songs four. called Reggie and the Full Effect that he was like giving right. away at Coalesce shows, and I was just like. This is really good, dude. We should like actually, <laughs> yeah. actually. Yeah, Matt's put this the reason out.
2: that we went to record. Matt made me go to the studio and record it. I for literally,
3: real. we were at the corner restaurant, and yeah. I was like, "Call Ed." And you are like, "Oh, we gotta go to the studio." I am like, "Call him now. You have him on your phone. Call him." Yeah, yeah.
2: Right. Made me go, and then you know, that, but it turned out awesome. Uh, well, but
3: the first thing that we sang together was that Coalesced, Coalesced to, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, the thing. Led
2: Zeppelin record. Um,
3: Why did we do? Which so? was
2: actually like really, if you think about it, one of the first screamo records to ever come out. <laughs> Because like, just singing and, scream- singing no, and because, screaming. No, because like Grade was around before then. It wasn't good. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that one, the EP was good. No, grade
2: was, grade was awesome. Kyle's a sweet dude um, for a Canadian. So, was there
1: ever, <laughs> so I mean, you know, you're you're bringing in, uh, you're bringing in the keyboard now into the group. Well,
2: you guys had, you were working on like new stuff. And uh, I remember you coming we, over we, one day and I was like, We wanted to have a keyboard. The harmony, we, I was singing harmonies along with Ann Arbor. And you're like, that sounds really good. And I was like, well, you just, like, listen to what I, I made up a piano part to it as well. And it's like, wow, we should re record this and put this in for fun. It's funny because I think we all thought of You found interest in Massachusetts. We oh, did. that's
3: why, that's how it ended up because yeah, we yeah. wanted to do that remix version of that one. And so we had, we're like, well, James plays piano, you come and do the piano part. And then he also wrote the cello part for it too. Um, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we're just like, yeah, oh, let's just, just go with it. And then mm-hmm. we, because we were like, we wanted to have a keyboard player anyway. And then we're like, oh, yeah, hey, this guy. Yeah, and
2: it was fun. You know, we, we started, because at first I would travel around with him on the weekends when I was off and sell merch. and yeah, uh, a warp Tour. <laughs> yeah, we went, did warp Tour We did three,
3: because I've only ever done three warp Tour dates, and they were all with this knucklehead hanging out with us.
2: Remember Pittsburgh, Kansas? Oh, yeah. These Pittsburgh boys like like, like fight. <laughs> <laughs> I like get four o'clock in the morning, he's Matt, like, and I stop for coffee. He's like, is there
3: Denny's around here anywhere? And he go, Danny's. Danny's. <laughs> Danny's
2: There's a truck stop up the way But you probably ought not go, go in there Because uh, us Pittsburgh boys We like to fight And we're like This dude's coming from a guy With a black eye and a skull cap on <laughs> We're like Wow buddy <laughs> God that was such a weird will your boy Pittsburgh, Kansas but, these uh, are the people
1: that all these bands that are on the coast and they start touring the country the first time get exposed to. They just,
3: they're just real
2: Topeka people. Oh, man. I would love to be a booking agent just of like the worst places to play ever to be like, this is your breaking you into the music scene tour. And like, here's where you have to play. And this is the dude you have to call when you get into town. Here's where you're gonna sleep, like, and just do it. Everything wrong, like all of us did growing up. There's a there, the was, scene.
1: there used to be a guy that uh, used to do uh, tour manage uh, for Chiodos a couple years ago, and he and he always wore a cowboy hat. And he said he wore the cowboy hat because he found that anywhere south of Tennessee, once you had walked into place with a cowboy hat, you got respect.
2: Well, south of the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are, what are some of those things from, from out in Kansas and Iowa and Missouri and things like that that probably some of these bands that are coastal that are going to come through your area for the first time should I mean, know?
2: Know a little bit about cars. Um, yeah, or like, you know, you could talk to
3: truckers about like the highway conditions and shit.
2: Yeah, weather. Uh,
3: um, <laughs> <laughs> weather's, a,
2: weather's a good topic, you know. Uh, I mean, all you have to know about the economy is that it sucks. And when you say that, you're like, yep. <laughs> Everybody will agree. Like, yeah,
1: it does. But, I mean, is there something like a never do this, never go to this sort of a place after
2: midnight, go to a, you know... In never talk s- to a woman in Vegas with red lipstick on, a purple dress, and bright blue shoes. I don't even want to go there.
3: Uh, <laughs> that's not a Midwest one, though.
2: No. Well, I don't know. Las Vegas is technically mean, kind of the b- end of the Midwest. <laughs> it's literally the end. It's just, yeah.
3: you know... Keep your head down <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Mind big, your own business. Yeah. Mind your own <laughs> damn business. And then, like, if,
1: if, don't, do I,
3: don't make a big deal. If somebody calls you a faggot, don't make a
4: big
2: deal yeah. out of it. So, watch your PC ness. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like, it's like anywhere else in the country. It's just, there's a lot less people, and people are a lot more, than, I mean, I'd say, nosy. It, it comes you know out you do, because if, you
1: guys talked about that at one time. Like, the, like the, where you're from, there's only a hundred thousand people in that town. And everybody knew everybody's business once oh, yeah. something happened in your relationship. It was all over town. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: It's,
3: it's oh, you know hilarious. If you're, if you're <laughs> going through, if you're on a bus, be prepared to like if you stop in like a truck, st- like some for someone to ask you who's on the bus, yeah, and then for them to go, oh, I never heard of them. And uh, y'all so got you records, it, y'all got CDs, yeah, just make something. give me one, just start
1: making something up. Have In other words, have a lot of promos to hand out, right? Yeah,
2: just tell me with a comedian. <laughs> just be like, oh, yeah, we're with... yeah that or say you're like Toby Keith's crew bus. Judd Nelson's book tour.
3: <laughs> Judd Nelson's book tour? Like, Who's okay. that?
2: Remember he was Bender... <laughs> that sounds like a band name. He was Bender from the <laughs> Breakfast Club. Like, I don't remember that. The Hood? Oh, yeah, that cool guy. Yeah. <laughs> the guy with the gloves. <laughs> so, Doghouse.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you guys left doghouse Mm -hmm. and you went through what about eight months of negotiations between labels and you were into it you were kind of in a whirlwind with mojo for a long time it appeared to be and there's some places i've seen that they said you were signed but you weren't some of you were just in the contract phase and and we
3: discussed this the other day with jarvie uh I think Ryan actually signed the contract. Yeah, wasted. He got drunk. <laughs> wasted. <laughs> like, did they I,
1: get him drunk? to get it signed? Nah, no? I, no, 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 he
3: doesn't need any. any yeah, there was, there's no
2: getting him drunk. Oh, okay, <laughs> all right, sorry. All right. Uh,
3: we did, we, the whole time we were initially, t- we had never intended to stay on Doghouse. We actually had never intended to stay on Vagrant either. It was always <laughs> just like a stepping stone. Uh, so where did you want to end up? We wanted to do the major label thing, you know? Okay, like, right. we wanted to we're like, get on to Geffen. Or well, like who, I mean, who doesn't
2: there. want to be a rock star, you know? That, right. I didn't, right. didn't like, want to. I mean, well, when like you, 20 when years old. Be. When you could be. Yeah. I kind
3: of yeah. wanted to either do like the full blown, like, Discord, like, we'll just fucking do everything ourselves, um, or, you know. Take a stab at you know it's like you can't be a band on an in, like you'd be for a real band we can, right. we, we always say that you'll we, never get on all radio. of our we always say all of our records are demos because we've never put out anything on a major label if it's not on a major label it's just a demo
2: no we did in Japan though JVC <laughs> yeah yeah we we're on
3: JVC in Japan that's what we we're made only... it we made it <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I mean we 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 knew we didn't want to be on Doghouse anymore and so we the whole time we were um, you know talking to other labels we talked to Geffen we talked to Oh, Christ, I don't know everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who is
2: the dude that came in the Adidas jumpsuit to the Weezer concert? That's that guy Jordan, who's like the who's the head of like.
3: Yeah, he's like sign limp biscuit. He's yeah, like yeah, massive yeah. now.
2: Mm. We spent more time instead of hanging out with this dude. I had bought remote control cars that day, so Robbie and I were building ramps for him. Yeah, oh, we had this dude from a major label. Well, like, no, this is before out. you were in
3: the band, though. We were no, talking, it was on the like, Weezer
2: tour when well, he came out.
3: I know, but like, I'm talking about. We met before we were gonna do. Oh yeah, I only thing.
2: met Jarvey. Like that was when I was a half member.
3: Yeah, he was a half member. For a while. Well, I only
2: played on like five songs. Yeah. So
3: doing the math on the on getting paid for gigs though is
2: kind of you're a half member. I <laughs> was stoked. It was more than I was making at Pizza Hut. And I got I got to see the country and meet chicks. Uh, and what happened to the pink car while you were out? Uh, my mom took it off my hands. <laughs> is she still, still around. You know, yeah, it is actually. She doesn't know what to do with it because it's pink. Um, <laughs> how many miles on it? Actually, you know what's weird is that it, I put in one year like 92,000 miles on it for Pizza Hut, and then I think it just cracked 100,000, and it's been, it's a 96, so it's 13 years old, and uh, that's pretty low mileage for a 13-year-old car. Yeah. Sorry, it, to, sorry
1: to digress off no, the no, but, but I had to ask where the pink catalog was, so I'm sorry. Uh, <coughs> so that, yeah, we talked
3: all these labels, and we decided we were going to go with Mojo, and then it was a... And we had talked to Vagrant. We weren't going to go with Vagrant, but we were going to go with the management company there. Right. And then,
1: because uh, so you like, had apprehension about signing, being managed, and at a record label, of the same company. It <laughs>
3: wasn't so much that as much as uh, we didn't know if Vagrant had like the track record. Like we like, wanted. Because they didn't before have any- Vagrant was really. Vagrant. Yeah, they didn't yeah. have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They
2: had out another year on the streets. Yeah, that was like yeah. their. That big was their seller. big thing. Um, mm-hmm.
3: And then no it was the Before You Were Punk. That's right, Before You Were Punk and then uh they had like a face to face vinyl. Right. And so we're kind of like hesitant and we're like, you know, initially it's kind of like, well, is this going to be any better than being a doghouse? We want right. to be on a bigger label. And so we were going to go with Mojo cuz we kind of felt like it was the splitting the difference cuz it was technically a major label but it was really small, but they had also had really, you know, sick, you know, real big fish and Cherry Pop and Daddy's, you know, gold and platinum records and stuff and so and we loved and still do love the A and R guy there, and uh, he, the owner, just I don't. He just didn't want to make it happen. He wanted the owner of Mojo, like he wanted to sign us like a, like we are fresh faced green, you know, out out of the box band. and We're like, no, dude, we've put out records, we've been on tour, we're not gonna sign to your label just because. You're not gonna take our publishing, you know, it's just
1: like Yeah, wasn't that part of it like they wanted to take some of your merch? They want they
3: publishing, they publishing. They, they didn't they say wanted. anything about merch. And then there was like dumb shit like if a band member quits the band, then we have to take a 25%
2: royalty reduction. And it was like, which band member? You know? Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> the bass player quits. Come on. That's a bass player. That's that's a five percent reduction right there.
3: <laughs> but it was like so then it was like between Doghouse who didn't want to let us go, uh, and Mojo, who didn't want to pay to right. get us on there, because, you know, has we owe Doghouse one more record, and then ultimately, and then, you know, Rich at Heart 8, like, kind of negotiating for us, and me on the phone all the time, and I was mm-hmm. getting really stressed out, and I was pacing around the house all the time, because we weren't working. We were like, okay, we're writing, we're you know, deal's going to be done any day now. It's going to be done any day now, any day now, any day now. And it finally got to the point where it was just like, you know what, fuck this, This is this sucks. Like, there's no... It was, just, it was just, like, eight months of, like, constantly, constantly fighting and negotiating, and they were just like, let's just put – Vagrant's offered us a deal to get us out of Doghouse, and they're going to do a distribution. Let's just do one record on Vagrant, and we'll meet a bunch of new A&R guys, and then we'll move on from there.
1: So you guys had a plan in your head, at least, of where you were going to go career-wise, like the step-by-step-by-step. No,
3: I think we just had that sort of, like – the the. For better or for worse, the the original intent was to try and get signed to a major label. Uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, that would have been the worst decision we could have made. But uh,
1: yeah, so that's how we ended up. Going and so with you vagrant. did Red Letter Day as a contractual thing to uh-huh. a doghouse and to get out done with that thing. And I thought it was kind of strange that, that usually they won't accept an EP. It,
3: it they was, want a whole record. It was an EP, the vinyl rights,
1: and a lot of money. Oh well, do <laughs> it. <right. laughs> <laughs> That's there. So you, the the deal that Vagrant gave you was that he also gave you a label imprint. Yeah, because villains.
3: Robbie and I were going to put out his uh, then girlfriend, soon to be wife, now ex wife's band, the anniversary, mm-hmm. and we were just going to take our like any money we got from Vagrant to just like put this record out ourselves. And then uh, you had already done the first Reggie. The record, first Reggie was Second Nature, but and so we were talking to. Vagrant and we we're like, well, we want to, you know, this is what we want. So it, it was really right. kind of like more of a like a package, like a friends and family well, kind
1: of
2: more or less. Well, so. but it was
3: more like our deal with Vagrant was more like a labeled deal. Mm-hmm.
2: But it was also like, well, we also want to do this and this. Yeah, they got right. Reggie and the anniversary, which was cool for Reggie and the anniversary because you know then all of a sudden we had instant fan base.
1: New too were on
2: there. Wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that was just kind of that was I mean, that just sort of
3: yeah seemed like. Why not? <laughs> you know? sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we, also, we really uh, kept it all in the
2: family for Kof-
3: a yeah, while. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah Kofax, Kof- Kofax Hot, and Hot Rod Hot Circuit. Circuit.
1: But then, but later on, then there was a there was an interview. I think Matt, you had said it, or maybe it was you, James. I can't remember what when you guys you the the I think Ryan said that they you guys got out of the, the imprint. You sold it back to Vagrant supposedly, and that some of that money went into buying the studio. Yeah, that, they that was.
2: Own. I think that was the thing <laughs> was that we sold it and used the money to buy the studio.
1: Um. I don't
3: know if that's entirely accurate. I think I th- I'm pretty sure it's we bought the studio with the, just our guilt Show recording budget. Oh, okay. And that's when we bought it. because cause that would have been. I don't know when we sold the label back to. I thought
2: studio. it was right around the same time. I
3: mean, it may. It may be. I don't really. But think. my head
2: is foggy from that whole era of my life. <laughs> but. but I could have remembered. I heard that conversation. Sometimes the conversations that are in your head are better than the real ones. Anyway. It's it's true. True. I love those conversations.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, so, but one of the things I think that a comment was made about the label was that you didn't like, deal, I think the comment was like, uh, we don't get all, they only come to us when we have to deal with the bad things.
3: Well, it's more like when you, when we got into dealing with like our friends' bands. Right. And then you want to be like, you know, uh, if they're, if they're not getting what they need or they feel they need out of the label, then I'm going to step in and I'm, I'm I'm fuck, take care of this, you know? And then I just end up fighting on, I just, it was not just like everything's
2: awesome when everything's awesome (laughs) and then when everything's not awesome everything's not awesome and it's it's that way in any relationship you get into with your friends and it's that's what makes it so tough and then
3: it was like there's that whole thing where like in any like rich or cohen from vagrant i'll tell you this but like as the label grew there were some serious like you know like People in anniversary want to know why not, they're not as big as Saves the Day. Right, it's, you it's, know, that and, starts happening. Yeah, and it's just kind of like, well, it just is what it is. I mean, you know, and then it's hard because they're have labels having growing pains because they're having to focus more energy on other certain
2: projects yeah, than others. Was blowing up. Yeah. For yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Vagrant expanded. They got huge, and yeah. uh, you know, they signed Saves the Day. Signed Dashboard. Mm-hmm. You know, and like they're they're expanding. What every company wants to do, and it's like you know that they don't have time when Get of Kids and Anniversary are the only two bands really on the the label that are putting out records and touring and doing well. Like, now they have eight bands that are putting out records doing well. They don't have as much time to dedicate to each person. And it's right. still a very small
3: staff. But then when you get into, like, uh, I have a vested interest in the anniversary because I technically own part of the part record, of record label, then it kind of, it got kind of, it just got frustrating and just kind of, it wasn't fun.
1: Is there any sort of truth, do you think, to that? Um... Even though I think it's impossible that it will ever be this way, you think there's any sort of truth that you should not, if you're starting a label, you're starting to put out seven inches, you're just some person in there, you know doing it out of your house, you should not do things for your friends' bands because sooner
2: or later you're going to have to be. Addicted. You always have to do it for the to to get your startup money. You have got to go after your friends' band. Well, but. Calling that favorite, but you then you should clip it at that. Really? Yeah, but make sure you do it fifty-fifty and everything's but I fair. Don't,
3: I don't know that you can really draw that line because, like, eventually, if you're getting into business with somebody, you want to have, like, you know, you, you might become friends with somebody through putting out their record. Yeah, and right, then, yeah, right. and then, if shit goes wrong, then it's you know just as bad as if it was like somebody from high school. I
2: figure, like, like most people that start, like, like label people that have actually been in bands and done the time on the road and been to europe in the winter time and have had to sleep on floors and dealt with italian loaders and uh you know just done horrible us tours and like you know played in squats and like have you know can't even afford to eat a taco bell every day like know that like the things that you grow up with playing in a band touring who know the experience of like when you do put out a record and like you have somebody sitting at a desk Barking things at you that you need to do, and it's like, oh my god, I'm out here making you money, man. Like I'm not seeing a dime off this. You're the one making the money. Like, well, it doesn't well, work it's that a, way. It's a
3: give and take. I mean, yeah, any any It's relationship very give and take. take. And you mm-hmm. gotta, and you. I don't think you can make like sweeping judgments. That you, like, it's like the label's the housewife,
2: or... and the band is the traveling vacuum salesman.
1: <laughs> and on that, I
3: think we should move to the next question.
1: <laughs> Well, you admit, James, you actually said a quote. Um, it said, Musicians are lunatics. You have to learn to be careful with people. It's seriously like traveling in a bus with a bunch of monks, based upon the show, monks. Um, <laughs> that really tight ass guy who is just weird about little things. If you're not best friends, it won't
2: work. Yeah, you know what sucks is I've turned into that guy about the little things. Yeah, you're really. really I, <laughs> I used to be. You used, like,
3: used to just be a drug addict. Now yeah. you're just like nitpicking. Now, now that
2: I'm not a drug addict, I'm like, why is that moved? <laughs> Why is the coffee filtered? Why haven't you guys cleaned the coffee maker? Why is this dirty? Who was the last one to use the bathroom? Like, why is there water all over the sink? I, and I'm, I'm like, I've I'm turned into like the anal finger pointer. But, the, but, the, but I think the profound,
1: the really profound quote came right after that. You said that it's the off time that makes or breaks bands. Learn how to deal with each other off the stage yeah, yeah. first. Oh, yeah. You have to be,
2: you got to have that. Either that uh, or you just
3: got to be a pro about it. Well, I mean, yeah. I if mean, you're dealing with like people who are like, you know but then that's kind of it gets kind of soulless.
2: Yeah, well that's the thing like when you have, you know, like musicians that hire all studio people who are all professionals, you know, and they get paid to be professional and when they're at work, they're on the clock and like when you have them out on the road, they're 24 hours a day getting paid and you know, you have to provide them with, like, the things that they need. You but know, I think the
3: point is, like, if you're going to play with your friends... Yeah, well, that's you what need I'm to
2: saying. Be able, You do need to be with able With your to, friends, like, it's got to be completely the opposite. Like, where you have to... It's a give and take again. Yeah, I mean,
3: it's an extreme situation in a van or even a bus where it's like, you know, you're with these people. You're, yeah,
2: you're on top of it. You're always on top of them. You
3: can't... You can't only be around each other for the hour and a half that you're on the stage. You know what I mean? Like, you mm-hmm. have to be able to, like, you know... You, even Even if it's just like, you know what you're bugging the shit out of me right now. I'm going to go for a walk, you know, and, like, just get away That's
2: from That's the thing, other. and also being able to not take everything so personally, because it, it, when it is, like, on the level of friends where it's like, we're all best friends, and sometimes we can't stand each other, but, you know, we've been friends for so long that it's like, we know how to make everyone in the band feel, like, a million dollars. We also know how to make them feel like a bag of crap.
3: It's like, when first night in, at the Metro, Ryan... Forgot to play valent. Like, they forgot to play a song. He just, he starts it and he started going into a different song. And we're like, oh shit, you know, like jumping into it, and uh, it just if you're in a bad mood about it, you can just be like, what the fuck? You can't read the fucking set list. What's your problem? But it's just kind of like, yeah. yeah, the thing
2: is, everything's got to have a grain of salt attached yeah. to it because I mean, it's like you you do it for so long, you forget that you're doing something that you love. And it becomes work when it's like you really have to just take a step back, take a breath, and then think about it again. That This is something that if you weren't doing it professionally, you would be doing it in your basement still. Because I know a million dudes in Long Island that play bass in their basements along with Billy Sheen in records. (laughs) And like (laughs) sit there and wait for the weekend that they get to go jam. Yeah, And like that's what they live for. And that's why they go to work, you know, for the city or whatever just so they can afford their habit of wanting to play the bass so bad. Yeah. And like, and we're lucky enough that Steve Earl had
3: a good quote about that. He said that, uh, we get paid a lot of money to do something we would probably do for free. Yeah.
2: it's the truth. Great quote. Great quote. So,
3: I mean, you just got to remember
1: that,
2: you know, yeah, that's the thing, the thing. People when,
1: forget it. Yeah. You said a quote back in the day, Matt, um, so anyone who thinks Napster is ripping bands off has never looked at a major label contract before and <laughs> see how much worse those are.
3: That's a good quote from good. Good job, Pryor.
1: Um, <laughs> so let's talk about this now with the context of the because the, the big question for every band right now, every band, every young band that comes up to me and hits me up is like, should I sign to a label? Do labels matter? Are they going to matter? So, um, you know, you had. Um, you you guys, you know, you, you you did the tours, you uh your you Dory came out, something to write home about came out. Um, and then you got to work with Scott Lit, uh with on a wire. You went up to Connecticut, am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recorded up there. And record came out and the story is is that because it <clears throat> because it was a different type of record that the, it didn't hit right off the bat, and so Vagrant, either because they were busy with other things or for whatever reason, stopped working it, quote-unquote.
2: Uh, I don't know if they stopped working it, but it definitely, like, the momentum kind of slowed down because it wasn't something to write home about part two. Well, right, and right. It,
1: that was a quote I think you had said previously, yeah.
3: But I don't think that was, I mean, you know, business is business, and it's just like, okay, we only have so much manpower. Are we going to work on Dashboard's record that's blowing up, or are we going to try and find a way to get... The punk kids, blood to, from a stone. Yeah, to get, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like what are we going to put our effort towards? And like honestly, like it, that's one of those, you know, every band goes through like a creative sort of paradigm shift, almost. For you, like yeah. I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again. Right. But the, our booking agent had a you know good quote about it. He was just like, you just got you got to spoon feed it to people because people. Because like, we had been changing. No one wants,
2: yeah, no one wants to. We no one wants changing. The band that they like to move on.
3: Yeah, we had been changing for like three years, and we thought everybody else around us had been too, and like we want to do something different. We were like... wearing
2: cowboy shirts before.
3: before. <laughs> <laughs> we were wearing cowboy shirts in the '90s, though. Uh, <laughs> Our friends still wear cowboy yeah. shirts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like cowboy shirts. Uh, it's
2: Mason Dixon. I don't thing, think it is. It very. Yeah,
3: I don't think it was. I mean, I don't think they put in. The effort that they put into something right home about, but I don't think you can really fault them too badly for that. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we we knew going into that record that it was going to alienate some people because we right. were making a different record, but it was just kind of like it's either we alienate it, alienate people, and we're happy. We, or we make you know a record that everybody
2: seems to want us to make and we won't like it. So that thing because we were touring like you can, so much. It's like we 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 live and breathe the songs and. At that point, we had played something we're at home about so much, and you know, mm-hmm. and it was you know four minute mile and something we're at home about and some songs off the EP, like that we were playing over and over again every day. And it's like, let's move in. Let's play something like a little more interesting for all of us to play. Well, like, it's
3: like can't you know like, no you're more supposed Moog. To be in a in a like a career <laughs> s- re- spectrum of a band. It's like you you have period. You know, you go through like you know you go, I'm going like you're, hell that last Reggie record your your metal one. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like. I what keep did, coming, kids come up to me and she's like, "What do you think of that Ridge record?" And I was like, "It's good." And they're like, "I think James got to work out some of his demons." And it's like, "All right," but that's
2: why you do those things. Yeah. Is that, that that's like you know, instead of me, you know, like I can't go out in the woods and chop down a thousand trees to get out my anger. I got yeah. I sit at a piano or with a guitar right. and write heavy music, and that's how I work out my problems. But that's me. Like Everybody has their own way to do it. Well, and
3: and I, I think yeah, I think that's what we did with. I mean, it was just a conscious decision. We knew we were gonna. Alienate some people, but kind of like it's kind of like well, if they only like us for that one record, but then they're, they're a lot not of people really tell
2: me that on a wire, like the song on a wire, is their favorite Get Up Kid song ever. They're like, you know, just with the lyrics and stuff. Like they're like, well, when it, when the record came out, you know, we're all expecting I'll catch you part two, whatever. Right. And then we got on a wire, but then it's like, and now after time has gone by, they're like that is really like a song that has stood the test of time. Found
1: there's a 10, ten year cycle, for yeah, the, for a, for a group's bad record at the time, that everybody panned and mm-hmm. didn't like 10 years later roughly everybody loves it yeah, it becomes well, like their said, best record when yeah
4: I, when <laughs> exactly. on a when
3: on a wire came out we said it was a it was a 21 year old cutoff like if you were under 21 you didn't like it yeah. if you were over 21 you did um and that was nine times out of ten the case
1: so you actually another quote matt you said um this is just full of quotes yeah I, I am I, I tracked you down uh, you you said kind of about the the people that were disappointed with the sound and that you said so they were disappointed but you know
2: what fuck them <laughs> so that was also our attitude about a lot of stuff back in that time in fact, and I kind of got
1: that vibe. But you're still musicians, you're artists. you have still got sensitivities, you know. There's a, there's a part to being. I don't care to any artist. There's a part to you where you, you, there's an insecurity or or like you want people to like what you create.
2: Well, yeah. But so you gotta the, have so a, did you
1: still have that ability problem? Did you have an issue at all where you oh, went on stage and you tried to play the new stuff and the kids just went flat? And you and did, like did that affect you at all? Did that make you think like, well, did that make you more resentful? Did that make you like, well, fuck it, we're gonna play it even louder now? You know, um, so anything like that. You your initial react. I mean, you got to have a really thick skin if you're gonna like put all this time
3: into creating something, mm-hmm. and then people are able to like write it off in a sentence, you know, in a review right. or something yeah. like that. Uh, and so you got to not take that stuff that seriously. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it, it does. Of course, it you know, it hurts your feelings to a certain degree, but you just, you your initial reaction, you know, it's probably like this, the stages of grief or whatever. It's like your initial reaction is, well, fine, fuck you then. You know? Yeah, like, the first like, stage is anger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the second stage is You've like... Been betrayed. Like, second stage is then, man, nobody likes this. I'm just going to go get a job. And then acceptance, ultimately, at the end, where you're just like, you know what? That was weird, you know. Well, we no, that's when you there show things up things you could've... play
2: shows and there's still kids paying to come watch you. It's like, well, screw this, dude. He doesn't know what he's talking about because kids are still paying money to see me well, play. Well, but then so. also,
3: it's like, you know,
2: it's, uh,
1: it, as you said, James, it seems like all the rules are written by kids who aren't in bands.
2: Yeah, <laughs> totally. Because well, 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 that's like the way. <laughs> that's the thing. Like with labels, it's like you know when I like uh, I've met so many people that work for major labels that hop labels. You know, like and with the way labels have been shifting and stuff lately yeah. and people buying out other people and all that. Like, you know, you meet A&R guys that used to work for Geffen, then I work for Sony that switched to Warner Brothers. Right. And you meet... <laughs> and, then now we're uh, yeah, and now are unemployed. Yeah. And now they're they're all trying to start publicity companies. <laughs> <laughs> like... Or, ma- or management Yeah, or firms. management <laughs> <More> firms. <laughs> or management firms. And it's firms. Like, like, yo, they, they refer We're to have that. We had
1: more management firms than we had emo bands. Oh, That's yeah. They're true.
2: like, oh, it's the game, man. You got to know how to play the game. And see me, I hustle. know how to play that game. You I, I'll hustle. hustle for your band. I'll, I'll get you those, those good things. Like, hey, you want to be in the Gatorade commercial? I'll get you in that fucking Gatorade commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. You know, but as like a sixteen-year-old musician, because that's where they're going now. Right? It's like they go right to MySpace and type in like emo techno, and uh, <laughs> it comes up with all these bands that are drum machine, synth-oriented, and it's like. Oh, well, I could really see this. You know, like all you have to do is reach out with them. Like, hi, my name is Brad. Blah blah blah, and I work for this Brad blah 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 entertainment company, and I'm really interested in your band. How would a ten thousand dollar check be for a three sixty deal?
1: And then it ends uh, with always with and please have your mom contact me. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right.
2: I will supply you with one minivan, one case of water, <laughs> and a PA, and and some, I know people at Red Bull. Yeah, and some CDRs. <laughs> <Here> CDRs. <laughs> All right, see you guys at the end of the tour, four years from now. I got this great All idea.
3: Right. We're just going to put the record on an iPod,
2: and then we're just yeah. going to sell the
1: iPod. This would be great. So <laughs> you guys have like a 10-year thing, and, and please correct me if I got my dates wrong. I thought I was being clever when I came up with this thing. Um, <laughs> four Minute Mile comes out. Ten years later, band basically has its, for the 10th anniversary, it's pretty much the end of it, the band. <laughs> yeah. At that point. Um, uh, so, no, because... No. No, it was, it, was
3: a, it would be like the eight year in it. came out in ninety seven and our last show. was It was, 2005. was in two thousand five. Close
1: enough. Something to write about. To, Come we, out ten years now. Yeah. And it's so you guys are on the re, first tour in a while. And and so 2012, it will be ten years from on a wire.
2: Uh-huh. Well, I'll be uh well, thirty world, the world, seven <laughs> isn't the world gonna end that year yeah, anyway. Be... So like right. Who Gotta cares? make that money we, should, we could probably bump the On a Wire reunion tour up a couple years So we can make that money the, <laughs> so I, can, so I can buy my hole in the ground and hide uh, For the rapture I don't know <laughs> honestly like the whole like
3: Repackaging like Anniversary issue yeah. thing isn't really What I look forward to When I make music It doesn't say Matt Pryor on the back of it It, doesn't, <laughs> what? it says vagrant uh, But we The only reason we even did We talked about doing it with 4 Minute Mile And just didn't have anything to put on it and then with this one it was really kind of almost an excuse like we decided we wanted to play some shows again and we were like oh we need to have a reason to can do it can i give it. you
1: an idea for a four yeah. minute mile thing and i never i always but fans would fans would buy this have commentary tracks on the record on the record over the song why not Man. people watch movies that way so why not have an alternate commentary thing i only watch it like just,
2: like five would... minutes of a movie that way because it's like i don't want to hear seth rogan talk <laughs> about farts over his if you're anymore. really bored you That's may. true. Or yeah, I don't we, know, like, weed's making a comeback, so people will get what stoned like, listening uh, to that.
3: But like listening to Four Minute Mile over with commentary would just be the four of us going,
2: Oh This is where Jim fucked up. <laughs> or like go <laughs> and like
3: listen to it and like, oh wow, that line's really emo. Oh <laughs> yeah, be, like
1: listen
2: to Jim's emo voice. So
1: so so you guys get drunk or stoned and then do it. Yeah,
2: well. The thing is they should just let me commentate over four minute mile and make <laughs> so it sit there and be like, no. That's not the way it was. No, and I'm like, yes, kids, this is the way it was. <laughs> Father James, I don't is still know. Great. I don't
3: know if we'll do something for Wire. There's a lot of stuff we could do with Onowire. I'm going to just keep writing new stuff. Yeah,
1: we're more. In, yeah. So, uh, so let's take a second music break. A couple more questions. Wrap this up. Um, Can I take a pee break? <laughs> yeah. What we, t- what was it- Yeah. Sure. Sure. No problem. Um, uh, give me uh, y- your favorite Get Up Kid songs. Give me three of them. Favorite Get Up Kids songs. Uh, No, actually, give me four, because we did four and four, so let's let's do that.
3: I really like My Apology,
2: although I haven't liked it as much since we started playing it again. Well, it's different to play and different to listen to it. We did a great job recording it. (laughs) (laughs) That was like Matt and I were in the studio working. Like this is the first time Get Of Kids were really focusing, doing a lot of backup harmonies and stuff. And yeah, Matt it's and I the were, James and Matt Tabernacle yeah, Choir. Yeah, we, were, the, that we, we one. were in that room all night long, just like adding more and more backups. Like this sounds so cool. They're all buried. They're like all buried choir. in the mix. You can't even hear. Them you anymore. can hear. Mi- Listen to it, kids. You can hear it. Uh, I like
3: a lot of Guilt Show. I don't know. Yeah, I like. Uh, I like the Dark Night of the Soul. I like
2: a lot. I like the GitHub Kids coalesce cover a lot. I think that they did an amazing job on, the, and you guys called it Burned Bridges, which I thought was awesome because that was the lyric from the song. Right. And uh, I listened to that when I was in Long Island like a week ago. Um, <laughs> this kid named Pete who was getting married made me listen to the 7-inch. And he's like, this is so, this 7-inch like defines the next six years of 7-inches. I was like, <laughs> that sentence is stupid. <laughs> but uh, that song is really, it, it, that's good. Yeah. Uh, um, I like Overdue a lot. Overdue's I think Overdue is probably one of the best songs I've I ever wrote. I would Do say. You have um you should play the Kid Kids cover of Molly Crew,
3: <laughs> which I nailed in one vocal take, I'll have you know, Whoa. because I've sang that song so many
2: times. See, that's in, what he was gunning up for in the mirror. Yeah, 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 this is like his defining moment. I knew I wanted to be a star when <laughs> I could nail Vince Neil's on with the show in one take. <laughs> like, <laughs> The <laughs> Pixies cover is really good Oh yeah, no, the Pixies cover is good That better. was really fun You'll
0: be accepting my apology For taking things too seriously Sometimes I'm old enough to keep routine Sometimes I'm childish John.
1: that was online, it said the, the band's main forms of entertainment are drinking, making music, and arguing. And <laughs> that's have, really that's, accurate. Yeah, and yeah, and accurate. I have to ask about this story just because it sounds so insane, but it says here, and of course this was a number of years ago, I believe. Uh, it says, um, and, and, and though it doesn't necessarily have to do with you, but the, the, the story was is that, Matt, you and Jim were uh, drove 20 minutes out of your way one time to find a Queen record to prove who exactly wrote Under Pressure. I do We didn't have to drive. We just went to the record store. It was a big
3: fight. It's a big <laughs> argument. Like it, uh, and I won.
2: Who wrote it? David Bowie. I, Freddie Mercury. I said David Bowie wrote it. So he he wrote it. I
1: checked on that because I didn't want to walk into who, this. Big, who wrote uh, it? The, the basis John Deacon says that Freddie Mercury actually wrote most of it, but that it's it was credited for all of them. No, I. Because Bowie it. was going to get all upset
3: about it. That was just, you know, that either way, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it just,
2: no, but that uh, is how bad they can get. We, yeah, like, we can get pretty bad. It's 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 a one it's like a one-upping thing. Jim's I'm just like,
3: very contrary. He'd like he he'd be like, we're talking about uh, just
2: anything. We're he'd be like, about, I have a bug bite. Well, I have a snake bite. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I have a lizard bite. Well, I have a manaconda he'll be bite. Like,
3: he'll be like, I have a bug bite. He's like, well, actually, that's, that doesn't look like a bug bite to me. That that's looks probably
2: like, a spider bite, probably from the uh, classification, like... <laughs>
3: Jim's a very interesting person, but yeah, we, we, you know, so we get annoyed with each other and then we drink too much and fight sometimes. So. But actually, you know what? All the guys in Braid uh, were like, at the Metro, they were like, you guys look like you're actually having a good time now, like you, and they're like, do you remember you guys used to like yell at each yeah, other on before stage Before I was a get
2: up kid, I went and saw them play in Kansas City, what was that club that was on Troost? Uh, fuse box. Fuse box. And uh they were on stage and this I went to go hear the Coalesce cover because you guys are gonna play it the first time and so the they thing. were fighting on stage, like arguing about what song to play. And I was standing there with Sean from Coalesce and Sean's like They've been fighting for like five minutes. because <laughs> <laughs> 'cause they're like, Let's just play this one. Shut the fuck up. Let's play this. No oh, and I don't then you get, it, you get to play that. You get into it where
3: it's like it's like we're we gonna play, let's play this one. Like, no, I don't wanna play that I'm gonna play this one and then I'll start it. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Then, like
2: Oh, or and Ryan then, will start. Ryan will just start playing. And yeah. it's like, because then, then no one can hear each other one time, over the
3: drums. Do you remember that in, the, in Alabama that one time? When I started playing No Love and Jim didn't want to play it. And so he fucking spit on me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this is how, to this yeah. is how you care. You yeah. Know? your band gets along on tour, though. You got to get it out. That way, after the show's over, it's like, great show. High fives <laughs> all around. Let's split that merch money. <laughs> <laughs> so when Guilt Show came out,
1: um, and you start doing the press for that, and you start doing the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, And you're like, yeah, you know, you read the interviews at the time, you're like, yeah, you know, this is the best thing ever, and we love it. Like, every band says it about every record. Right. You know, did you kind of have an idea, uh, did the band have an idea, maybe in the back of their minds, that the end was coming anyway? They didn't know.
2: I knew, because we talked about it, but no one else knew. I knew, like, uh, a couple months before Matt announced it in Australia, I knew, because Matt had told me, like, what was going to happen. And, you know, honestly, I completely forgot. (laughs) And then (laughs) in Australia, I was like... Oh shit, I knew that. <laughs> like, I totally knew that this was going to happen. I, and I I don't know.
1: Because I, I would think it would be really hard to kind of fake it.
2: I'd already signed on to do Newfound Glory during the middle of that tour because they'd called and I knew that you were going to do that. And like Chad from Newfound Glory called and yeah. asked if I would come fill in for the keyboard player for Warp Tour. And it was like, yeah, I'll be free that summer. So, okay, cool. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, Guilt Show is kind of a hard record.
3: I, I mean, truth be told, I'd been wanting to quit the band for, since something right at home about it, actually. <laughs> uh, but, uh... Wow. Well, just, you know, dumb shit. Hmm. But, uh... I, I think Jim had said that he had
1: wanted to quit a couple times Well, to we were, that record, We were too. pretty
3: hard on him, during because we did two of his songs, and we didn't use them on the record. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
3: And it was, um... I think he's still kind of pissed about that, but... Hmm. Well, he used them in Black Pool Lights. Whatever. Yeah, one of them became a Black Pool yeah. Lights song. But, uh... Which but our version's better. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway, uh I I wanted us to make that record because I wanted I didn't want us to go out like, oh, we tried something different, it didn't work, so we just gave up. Yeah, we're just like we put it out on a wire and it was like, it was like just make a rock record and have it be. So it was like very intensely focused on really, really specific parts of Guilt Show. But yeah, I, I had intended to break to quit the band after that dashboard tour. But I apparently can't fake it. And so I got called out, like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you?
1: And it was in England, right? It was in, well, it was in Melbourne I told, in Australia.
3: I told him in England and then between Japan and Australia, uh Ryan kept asking me about it and, yeah, okay. and and then we had a band meeting and it was like and I just I I don't know if anybody else remembers this. I remember this but the band I was meeting. I was like I just need. I need to take a break. Like I need. I need a break. And, we all needed a break at that point. I, I think remember, that's another
2: thing that will save a band too is knowing when to take a hiatus for a little bit. Yeah. And well, the they they were like, nobody y- will let you.
3: They're like, they're like, you got. It's either we do it 100 percent or we don't do it at all. And I'm like, well, if you're gonna give me a fucking ultimatum about it, then let's and just let's, not do yeah. it at
2: all it's the, like you know you see these bands that burn themselves out so fast now like you know because the industry will not they want to keep cranking and keep cranking well, keep people cranking. that are
1: dependent on you for a career yeah, yeah, and yeah ultimately like i think
3: the success to longevity is to take time away from each other you know i mean absence certainly makes the heart grow fonder
2: yeah and and, and be willing to try other things like you know just because you're the guitar player of this band doesn't mean that you can't Work on some other form of music, or like you know, be a painter. Like, you don't have to be locked into this one mm-hmm. thing. It's good to experiment and try new things. I mean, you but know, if you talk
1: to all those ma- like you were joking about all the managers that are popping up now. Mm. The funny thing is, is so many of them feel that the 15 minutes of fame is now five minutes of fame.
2: Oh yeah. And So they mm. tell
1: bands, oh no, 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 cash out fast.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because no, you'll be
1: over MySpace. You'll be there. You'll be over in one year now. I don't know. Yeah, that- the thing and is, so, is there's true? only a few bands so,
2: that have been around as long as we have that are from our scene that are still together. And uh, it's just Jimmy Eat World. Isn't but it? Do you yeah. think that,
1: but do you think that is because the people, as you were saying, James, that it's because everybody else around them that are dependent upon them are forcing them to more or less, burn well, they, out.
2: they just keep, they want to keep we're them. Matt is
1: saying, slow down and don't, don't, oh, yeah, you should, I you're think saying, you like, just slow yeah, yourselves down, you take control
3: of your I career. I mean, regardless of, of what the norm, you know, what the management says, what the industry says, there is still a slow moving. I mean, look at vinyl. Well, yeah. Look at vinyl culture now. Right. Well, yeah, well, the scene it's I'm like, talking
2: about is that that popular scene. I know, and like, that's just like, I, that's, where emo has gone. Gotta, well, yeah, 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 You
3: gotta realize that if, if that is what, if that's the path you're gonna take, then, then it's that's gonna, what you're gonna that's have what to what do. You're gonna get, but you don't have to do it that way. You can do it yourself, and you can. Yeah.
2: You know, <laughs> I just had a mental picture of a kid like being like, "I have to be in an emo band. <laughs> I'm gonna lose my mind." Because <laughs> when we when I started playing at Coalesce, I S, I didn't be like, "I have to be in a hardcore band." I know that you weren't going. I have to write emo music. No, like. I just
3: I was like, "I have to be in a band." That's all. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I didn't I didn't have the a genre like, in mind. Yeah, but
2: like you said, like the vi- you know with vinyl, like it's there's still St- there's staying power for anything that yeah. you, if you want it to be there. Well and it's
3: like that with a lot of things in life. It's like you you don't you don't have to watch TV. You know, you yeah, don't, you, you can, can read. You, you don't choose ha- to do what you do. You know, I mean, you don't you don't have to buy into the to that culture if you don't if you don't want to. If and you then lived you can, in, you can, in Russia in you 1982, also,
2: you would have to be in a <laughs> <laughs> they would make everyone you can, in a You can take band. little
3: bits of it and I'm I'm a bad example because like a, a lot of the new like you know even with like MySpace and Facebook and Twitter yeah. and all that stuff, I'm really bad about it because I'm just like who who cares what I think? You know, like, really, it's like, I, I'm going to a restaurant. I'm going to a
1: restaurant tonight. And like, who gives a shit if I'm going yeah, to a restaurant? I don't care tonight. what
2: you just had for dinner five yeah. minutes ago.
1: So so here's something. You guys, you know, you stopped when the industry was basically beginning the end of the end, mm-hmm. right, of, of the way it was before. Yeah, yeah. Now you're coming back with a whole new business model, models, plural, mm-hmm. and and all these major companies fighting for dominance and who's going to control, you
2: know, the... You know, the oh, there's going to the end up being war. one company in the end of this Well, thing.
1: I mean, you know, but you're seeing, you know, innovative companies like Last FM, You're yeah, seeing yeah. Pandora now. Mm-hmm. starting to basically decimate satellite radio, oh, decimate yeah, yeah. FM radio. You're seeing the, the label system collapse all the way down to the bottom. Oh, and, the, and it's getting, like, sharks. But then you you've know? got things like Tune Core, and you've got things like CD Baby where they're allowing mm-hmm. musicians to do stuff on their own. So, is there any part of this you, you know, as you guys are older now, you know, you are sitting there going <coughs> uh, like you're not really too sure of the world around you, or are you guys excited by it? Like, wow, I'm this is gonna give me so many opportunities. You're, yeah, initially,
3: you, you get kind of freaked out about it, but then I'm the more the, when you start to think about it logically, you're like, oh, wait. You mean I can just put the record out and keep all the money? So,
1: what does, give me three things that excite you guys. And then we'll we'll wrap this up at another question.
3: I'm excited about vinyl because I've always been like a a vinyl geek and I've always, I'm I'm excited that's like a viable thing now. You know, Um, I'm excited, but still need to take the initiative to have everything kind of like under our own control. Yeah. And like the way that we operate is that we're, you know, technically a democracy. And so, like, I don't know that everybody's got their head exactly where mine is. Mine's more like records are promotional tools. You give the record away yeah, and
1: then go right. on tour. Exactly. Actually, Pumpkins are going to do that with their record. Yeah, <laughs> I think
2: that now that the control is shifting back into the hands of the musicians, where it yeah. should be, like okay. the songwriters, the people performing. Um, Even though you know,
1: you're realizing that those days of becoming a big rock star are probably not going to happen. It, now. Screw
2: those days. But <laughs> you know, like, really, I, I'm excited. I that, think if you can maintain a lifestyle, if you can, like we. Make, you know, we're not millionaires, but we make a living playing live music and we enjoy yeah. it. And we've well, done it for years. We're lucky now.
3: enough that we have a really solid like touring fan base. I mean, right. and, and you know, it probably peaked in like 2003, you know, and then has, yeah, but come we've down. still
2: maintained like, you know, but I like, don't expect to, I don't want to drive a freaking Porsche anymore. Like, I'm <laughs> in my 30s. It's like, you know what? I'm happy having a Hyundai and putting food on the table and being able to go buy jeans. Like, that's great. And if I can get that from playing music, gee whiz, like how lucky am I? You just said gee whiz. Instead of Jesus. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I feel lucky and blessed that I have this life. And, you know, and it's all because of kids that are into the music that I write. And, mm. you know, there is something to say that, yes, I would not be in the place I am without, like, the labels right. and stuff. But at the same time, where would the labels be without the musicians? Because mm. no one's going to put out a record of nothing. Like. I mean, Matt, does, I mean, do you feel
1: more confident than you maybe you were when you guys st- after Guilt Trip, uh, after Guilt Show?
2: When I say guilt Trip, Guilt Trip—that's my new side project. Oh, is that is oh, <laughs> that's, that's the cover band,
1: actually. Yeah. That's the cover band. <laughs> uh, but no, but do you feel more confident now, like that you're going to be able to, I guess maybe um, have more of a uh, have ultimate be able to make sure that your project starts the right, your project start the right way and end the right way. Um. Well, I mean, in doing anything for yourself, you're you're. It's the bet. It's a
3: blessing and a curse, you know, because it's like if it fucks up, there's no one else to blame but us.
4: Mm.
3: I don't know. I this is I'm an, I'm for me personally. I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but I'm kind of on this like this. Uh, I'm I'm teeter tottering on this thing because on the one hand, um, I just want to write songs mm-hmm. and let somebody else deal with it, and then play with my kids and grow vegetables. Right, But then on the other hand, I'm like, but I need to take the initiative and just do this myself and like, you know, put my businessman hat back on that I used to have on in the early 90s when I was booking all the tours and doing all the driving and settling all the shows. It's just not, I don't, it's one of those like, <laughs> got to talk myself <laughs> into putting that hat on because I'm kind of like, I kind of like, I like my life how it is now, you know, or I, I don't have to. You know, play that role. So, but I think it's, I think it's cool. Ultimately, like I think you got to be a hustler. You know, you got to find what's new and what works, and what. And it's very like artist driven and artist supportive. So I think that that's really, really good. Ultimately, mm-hmm. and like we're lucky we have a fan base. We could totally do this ourselves and make a living doing it. Just we need somebody to actually do it.
2: Well, yeah, well, I mean, well that's the thing, me like, or somebody else. Like, where like producers aren't going to go anywhere because right. I mean, there's always going to be producers and stuff. They there's might take a day re- cut. Yeah, there's always going to yeah, be engineers exactly. and no. things but, like I mean, that. That's, but that's what bands need because those are also motivational tools for musicians to be like, well, you've got this well respected opinion, a guy who really knows like about songwriting or something that can walk in and be like, well, this song is great, but I think maybe if we tried this, you know, and that stuff's always great to have. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think that just. You know, putting the business hat on, like you said, like not, maybe not, it doesn't have to be like a big hat. It could be a little just, business hat. I'm scared of it. The though, internet I don't does wanna... your work for you if you want it to. Like, but you still you know. got to hustle with it, man. You still got to. You just have to update it once a day.
3: I, I know. I just... It take
2: like, you know, it's, it's a, we don't do anything. I mean, you have three kids, so you have different than, I don't do crap. <laughs> <laughs> you watch a lot of really good television. I watch television. Yeah. But how, bo- how lame does that sound? <laughs> could be, could be a TV, You could start a TV blog. Yeah, reruns dot com. Yeah, Vi- Vicodin makes you like bad television.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here is the last thing. Um, the the new material I've I've, I've read that there is nine songs or so recorded. Uh-huh. They're being mixed, or mm-hmm. so, um, and you are thinking maybe series of VPS or some vinyl stuff or who knows what. The the plan now, if yeah, you are no, cool. I am I'm, I'm, I'm
3: fine <laughs> with it. Is we're going to do three uh, four-song, 12-inch uh, singles. And they're going to come out periodically throughout next year. Hmm. Uh, on Vagrant? No, we're going to release them independently. But we're on the fence as to whether they're just going to be vinyl collectibles, and that's it. Or, you know, not necessarily have to be collectibles, but like just do vinyl and not do digital at all. And then maybe—we can't really tour next year so much because uh, of other bands' touring cycles— and so maybe once we can do a real tour again, like then releasing it in like a I major, we, major we can, format. We'll like be able a,
2: to do something like do like a New York and LA probably kind of thing in within the next year of that stuff. And uh, I'm sure we could work out something but we're gonna, like that. I think
3: ultimately we're we're kind of taking it all the way back to like our first seven inch and just like, we're just going to put this out ourselves. And it's like, there may only be 2000 copies of it, but who gives a shit? Three hundred dollars yeah, a piece. Yeah, <laughs> now, yeah,
2: no. And then give that ten years, and when I'm forty three, I'll be having all these. we basically create- hundred copies of this four thousand dollars. <laughs> We're creating our own collectibles. <laughs> That's,
1: That's the way th- to do it. So there was a there's a, there a website out there that ex- that described you guys because uh, music is a is a, is formed out of a generational societal moment. And okay. So bands movie stars, whoever it is, kind of represent a generation or a moment in time, and they sometimes are a response to that, what's going on in the world around them, or uh, it's either a call or an action. Um, so, um, and and there was a site that said that the Get Up Kids were pastors to the emotions of the time. Um, pastors? About, pastors, yeah. Wow. Should we get
2: out our cards?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so it does kind of all come full circle in this conversation. So, if 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 you can follow that what do you think the next generation for get up kids is going to be what are you going to be the pastors for i mean you're older now you're different lives
2: i don't know i could don't know could be retired pastors
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the best. Cause they, i mean you know they still get a pension check from the church but you know it's not for much but uh, it gets you by <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I, same attitude we had before, I don't think we ever intended to be part of a scene or part of a movement or something. I think something. was, yeah, not
1: trying to go email with No, us. no, no, I, no, mean, I, I know, mean, but like, like in know.
3: the future, I just want us to keep making, I mean, I think of it on a very base level, like, I want us to keep making music that we like, that holds our attention, and, you know, uh, to challenge ourselves I mean as irritating as that session was with the whole analog thing and Rob being a you know super picky about stuff it was like we did make something really cool yeah, yeah I no, know and it's
2: captured on that it's that moment captured yeah. and that's basically what you know you any musicians trying to do is yeah I mean that's why you record I, I don't I don't think we'll be the
3: pastors of anything from here on out maybe we just always wanted to be the get-up kids and that
2: was really it yeah, I'd like somebody else to be the pastor's like, cause hmm. then I can make fun of them. <laughs> then I can start pointing the finger and be like, eh, "You ruined music. <laughs> it's all your fault." Other band.
4: And
2: be like, "Back in the day, back in like the late '90s." Yeah, like, I want to be that dude. I want to be that dude. That—that's the back in the day guy. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> you have no idea what it's like, bro. That's Jim. Jim does that <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Man, I remember. You Listen, think you do you got any- know nothing about Van Touring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever slept on the floor yeah. of an you Italian squad? in
2: Oklahoma City in 107 degree temperature with no AC? <laughs> <laughs> You're going around from bus to bus. and walked from knocking to see if someone will let you take a nap in their air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what it's like, man. You're ready to share a merch tent with less than Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are nice. <laughs> no, I wasn't saying anything <laughs> to you guys know Gary, MXPX's merch guy? He's crazy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Gary's a nice guy, too.
1: He's,
2: he's, he's crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming by, guys. Yeah, thank, was, thank you so, you so much a lot for of having good us. Laughs, so, really, thank you, and best of luck, and we'll see you uh, another 10 years.
4: Yeah. yeah we'll, <laughs> we'll, see. We'll, go, we'll see
1: you before then. <laughs> no, I mean, it just it keep the 10-year thing going. Oh, uh, okay, I, yeah. I'm, I'm convinced there's a 10-year cycle here. Maybe a little mythology, but I'm convinced there's a 10-year cycle here. There's moments that are 10 years. I could see yeah. that. That'd be cool. Yeah, if I come
2: back when I'm 43, I need like an award.
1: <laughs> Get you a clammy.
2: i need, <laughs> some, I need some mushy food probably. <laughs> like, I will have no teeth at that point. AP podcasts are recorded at
1: Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio. A New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine go to www.allpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh, post-production assistance from Robert Tenzey. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com/mikeshayap. That's S H E A like the stadium AP.